Welcome inside the drivehuber.com studios fan midday show on a Thursday. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. Thanks so much for joining us. Had no idea. Feels like an out-of-body experience from a conversation we had yesterday that there'd be New Jersey talk. Not New Jersey, the place. (laughs) New Jersey, the Colts have one. We'll get into that a little bit later today because it's an interesting look. I don't know fully how to feel about it because yesterday the conversation was how traditional the Colts uniforms have been and much like a handful of other teams, there's not a good, rich tradition of having new uniforms introduced or throwback uniforms introduced. This one, of course, is a straight-up new uniform, and we'll get into that around 1230 But I want to start the show with the resumption of our conversation with James Boyd back in here, covers the Colts for The Athletic, with where Jonathan Taylor is and also where this turmoil-filled situation for all running backs around the league is. And we start, if we do have that audio, Eddie, with a conversation that Saquon Barkley had, Money Matters, that the name of the podcast, I'm around that, the Money Matters podcast. Now, for context on this, Saquon was laying out different situations or options that he might have in his disposal from a leverage standpoint with the Giants now forcing him to either sign the tag or not report to camp and potentially not play to start the season. Saquon was laying all that out of what he could do if he was to really be drastic about this situation. I could say F- you to the Giants. I could say F- to my teammates and be like, you want me to show you my worth? You want to show you how much, how valuable I am to the team? I won't show up. Right. I won't play it down. That's a play I can use. Anybody knows me. Knows that's not something I want to do. But like, it's something that has it something that crossed my mind. It's like I never, to. I never thought I would ever do that. But like now, I'm at a point where it's like I, I might have to take it to this level. And like, am I willing? Am I prepared to take it to the level? I don't know. James, initial reaction to that potential path that Saquon Barkley feels he has. I'll let you start with that. I like it. I like that he got out there and said something. I know there were some fans who were like, why is he talking when Daniel Jones is going through the negotiations? He said nothing. But I feel like it's a catch-22. You don't say anything. People say whatever they want about you. You say something. People take your words and twist them. What's interesting about that clip is that, thankfully, you all did it. We played the full thing. A lot of people have chopped it off to the point where he's like, just F you to the giant, F you to this thing. And like, that's all they're hearing. But it's not, he's very nuanced in his answer. And he's sure. saying, you know, he's basically saying, I want to be out there. And quite honestly, after listening to more of the podcast, the extended version, it sounds like he'll be out there when the game start. He's just trying to, you know, dig his heels in wherever he can. But I think that what he said was very fair from his perspective as the star player And then on the team perspective side, I get their stance as well. And so I don't think anybody's a bad guy. We talked about this with Damian Lillard in the NBA. No one's really a bad guy, but you have to stand your ground at some point. It's just that with running backs, there's not much of a foundation for you to stand on. There's a couple things that immediately jump out with me with that. The first is you have every right to voice your frustrations. If you're Saquon Barkley, you have every right to try and win this public battle, win this public perception fight that you're in, and ultimately win what you believe is fair compensation for you. Now, at this point, the extension deadline is is passed, if I'm not mistaken. That was just earlier this week, and no deal was found between the Giants and Saquon Barkley. If he plays this year, it's going to be on the franchise tag. My biggest issue is, one, 
if you say things like that, even with all the context that we provided and all the context that episode provides, most shows, including national networks, you're not getting that context like you mentioned. Yeah. You are putting it out there for a chance for your words to be misconstrued, you to be labeled in such a way where it's like, oh, this is a, um, a spoiled, privileged athlete that is just throwing a tantrum yes. on a live podcast, which again, I don't think it was the wisest move for him to even outline it as cleanly as he did because of that fact, but I get the frustration. But the other issue I have with it, and this is bigger than not managing what he said on the podcast correctly or incorrectly, it is he outlined a fake plan. The plan that he outlined of saying bleep off to the Giants and bleep off to my teammates is not a real plan. And the reason it's not a real plan and not viewed as a threat by the Giants or by any other organization that has been in contract battles ever is at the end of the day, you're either going to report on week one or you're going to end up like Le'Veon Bell and you're not going to get paid. You're not going to get money. Game Chat's going to start being withdrawn from you and it's a losing battle. Like that, it's it's not yeah. a legitimate strategy for any running back, wide receiver, anybody except for No, it's not even except for. I would say except for quarterback, but Lamar Jackson just tried to do this for 6 months <laughs> and wound up with a extension that was not even remotely close to what he and his agent felt like he was worth. So no, it, it, there is no win here where I'm not going to report and all of a sudden, the team's going to pay me. I hear what you're saying. That's why I don't think there's really any leverage. And then you look at it from a team perspective. They weren't going to play you that much in preseason anyways. Running backs don't get hit or touched really during training camp anyway. So it's not like they're too concerned. And I think he's professional enough, along with Josh Jacobs, who we'll talk about him a little bit later with Deshaun Reed from The Athletic, who covers the Raiders. I mean, they're not going to show up out of shape. Like, I don't think Saquon's going to show up and be like, oh, I didn't do anything and good luck now. Like, I think he respects the game enough to be frustrated but still show up and be professional. And, again, if, if that's the case, that's a win for the Giants. And so the other thing I want to point out, and I buried the lead, Saquon Barkley actually retweeted me yesterday. Nice. Randomly. There you and, go. And, and, well, not randomly. I tweeted about how the quote was cut off, and I just – you know, I didn't even tag him. In some kind of way, he retweeted me. I was like, oh, he saw it. Like, wow, you must be uh, searching your name and really feeling this pressure. But, again, I think that's the point he wanted to make clear is that he's not um, in a space where it's just saying F you. It's has it crossed my mind? Yes. And, again, from a media perspective, you want that authenticity. And I get what you're saying. Like, you can't trust anybody to not – misconstrued your words or twisted and I mean we're in the name of engagement so you're going to chop off everything to make sure you get the most clicks it's going to get aggregated it's going to get found exactly but again I think I would appreciate this from a fan perspective and maybe you all can speak to this being more so like in that fan suit when it comes to the Colts like I really appreciate it when JT kind of came out and said what he felt at the end of veteran minicamp even the tweet that he put out there now it doesn't mean like you might side with them or against them, but at least you know what they feel. And I think that's better than not hearing anything and just letting people run with whatever. So at the end of the day, though, they just don't have that leverage. And it's sad to say it because Saquon, I believe, listened to a couple of sports shows and reading a bunch of stories, he was like 40% of their offense last year. 
And so that, to me, is probably the biggest sticking point. It's like, you all think that I'm not worth, you know, X amount of dollars when last year you would have done nothing without me. And just as an aside, if there is a team that I would pick to, like, really backslide this upcoming season, it's probably the Giants because they had a bunch of one-score wins last year. Daniel Jones, although he got paid, is not some guy who I think is going to take some massive leap to be a top 10 quarterback, top five quarterback in the league. So all of that to say, I mean, if Saquon comes back and balls out, there's not a guarantee that like the rest of the team will be balling out as well. So I, I just don't know. I, I'll feel differently about him in particular if they had a quarterback that you just absolutely know is a guy. But I'm not sure if DJ is that guy. I mean, they paid him like he is, but – I don't know. Quarterbacks are the only position that almost always went out, again, except for a couple situations here and there because teams yeah. feel so trapped that if we have somebody that's even close to who we think is our franchise guy, we're going to pay you. And you know what? His best leverage was probably when they hadn't paid Daniel Jones yet because yeah. there was this discussion, I know you remember, where it was like, who do you tag? Yep. Is it him or Saquon? And even Saquon talked about it. They met during the bye week during the season last year to discuss a possible extension. He turned it down. And in hindsight, it's like, you know, what what incentive do the Giants have to offer you more money now after they've already paid their quarterback back then? I mean, maybe you – it's 2020. Maybe he would go back and change his mind. But, again, it felt like his best leverage, and everything is a case-by-case case basis, even with JT, his best leverage is obviously that they haven't paid a quarterback yet, but his best quarter leverage was the same thing prior to paying him. Like, they hadn't paid him yet. It's me or him. Maybe I take this. He bet on himself to go out there and play really well, which he did, but he also bet that they would reward that and they and they aren't. And I think that one of the most alarming things is just that I believe uh running backs, the days of seeing these fifteen million dollar deals might be over. I mean, there's exceptions to the rule, but you would have to be a prolific runner, a prolific pass catcher, and then the issue with Saquon is that he was a first-round pick. So even with JT, he's going to be up for an extension after four years. Saquon's tied to five years at this rate. So it's almost like you hurt yourself yeah. by being drafted as high as possible if you're a running back. <laughs> like, and, and he still has potentially if it got down this route, which I don't think it would because one of them is going to be tired of the headaches for Saquon. It'd be sacrificing a ton of money, not this year, but next year. Because they could tag him two more times after this if they really wanted to. You could tag a player up to three times. Very rarely does it happen three times. And the financial penalty goes up exponentially in terms of the increase of salary every time you use the franchise tag. A couple things I want to pack there. First, with John and Taylor and the honesty thing, I have never once had a problem with players speaking their mind. I think there's a better way to go about it. Like, for instance, I'm a little frustrated with Saquon because I don't think that's the way to do it because you're putting yourself in danger of being clipped up, misconstrued, and if you're saying that enough as a... If you're saying that on a podcast to say, this is something that I have a card that I could play, then you've thought about it. You've legitimately thought about doing it. It's no longer just a hypothetical. It's, okay, I've weighed all my options, which is fair. A lot of people with any big decision are going to weigh a number of different options they could take. But the issue I have with John and Taylor and the honesty thing is... And I don't know if it was the change of agents... Or if it was just he sees the writing on the wall now with running backs. But the conversation that we were having or that he was expressing to the media six months ago was it'll happen when it happens. 
it'll get taken care of. I'm going to do what I need to do as a player. I'm not worried about it. And then somewhere along the lines where he changes agents and this running back turmoil continues to happen around the league. His tune goes from, I'm, I don't really not care about it anymore. I am a valuable piece of this team. I'm a valuable member within like the community outreach that we do here. And I'm young and I'm a large portion of this offense. I deserve what's rightfully mine. And again, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with a player advocating for it. But it's hard for me to feel which one is honest, which one is gamesmanship, or is he just now conflicted with the whole thing because he thought he was going to be taken care of and now he doesn't know because he's seen three of his peers in the NFL get tagged or lose out on negotiations that they thought were going to work out for them. Yeah, I think you make a very good point. And again, he made these comments, JT that is, before Dalvin Cook was released, before Saquon and Josh Jacobs Yeah, I'm not even talking about them, but you're right. You throw them in there too. Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, he made these comments before all this kind of went down. And again, JT has basically always given the perfect answer during every interview, which is why I joke with you that I don't want to talk to him because he says (laughs) too many nice things, especially last season when things weren't going well. I'm like, I need something real, JT. I don't need this, you know, for the shoe stuff. But the tone obviously changed when he changed agents. But I think even beyond that, it's just seeing the writing on the wall. And the only reason he isn't grabbing the headlines right now, like Saquon and Josh Jacobs, is because he's one year removed from it. But you can guarantee that if the Colts do not extend him, which the more I think about it, I'm wondering what is the incentive from a team perspective to do that prior to, you know, going into the next offseason. What leverage do you have? What play do you have? What can you do other than kind of watch the world and the market around you change and you can't do anything about it? Well, that's what Matt Miller outlined the other day on Twitter. Oh, yes. And and I'm sure a lot of running backs um, were upset with that. A lot of quote tweets from running backs in the NFL about that tweet. But he was saying what is obvious and it might be cruel, but put it like this. JT is a great player for all I know he's a great dude and we joked about this the last time we talked about this I think way 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 back as far as the community outreach part that's great but the only time your community activity matters in the NFL is when you're doing bad things in the community no one ever brings up when you do good things that's not a leverage play for you to get more money if you're a good guy in the community it's only leverage if you do bad things and they're like, okay, now we can lower your salary yeah. because you're a knucklehead. So I get that. There's no bonus for doing the things you're supposed to right. do. Right. And and he, I'm sure there's some things he doesn't have to do, and I respect that, but just calling like it is, business will never be, at least in the NFL, you're not rewarded for being a good-hearted person. They're going to be like, what did you run for last year? How many games did you miss? And what hurts JT, as we talked about before we came on air, is that he hasn't had more than one great season. He had one great season. As great as it was, it's just one. And that's what the Colts are going to tell him, or I'm sure that they have been telling him is, it's not like he's coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, back-to-back all-pro seasons. He had one great year. He had a down year last year. And even though you could say, or he could say, the ankle was a fluke injury, you also carried the ball a ton at Wisconsin. So at some point, as Eddie pointed out, the runs, the hits, it's going to stack up. It's going to slow you down at some point. And this is not us being mean. It's the data supporting it. Mm-hmm. 
And so I just wonder, mentally, how do you handle all that? Which was what I appreciated from Saquon is he talked about some of that mental angst. And he was like, yeah, I went to the drawing board and they told me I'm only worth this because I don't catch passes. The next game I went out there and told it the ball 35 times. And he's like, you're thinking, is this their way to kind of put me in my place or show me what I am? Or is this designed to help us win? Or is it a little bit of both? So that's the part where I'm interested to see how it affects just the mental psyche when you no, you can't do anything about it, but you have to go out there and perform anyways. With Jonathan Taylor and the Colts and what we would assume would be ongoing negotiations of some kind or at least conversations on this is a contract year for him. Like if I'm Jonathan Taylor's agent, I am addressing to the Colts if they haven't already had those talks already. It's a contract year for my client. Look around what's happening with the other running backs in the league. A lot of this position group is being disrespected right now. Again, this is just from the agent's point of view and from the player's point of view. My client's 24 years old. Sure, he was used a lot at Wisconsin, but when he was healthy, which again is only a one-year blip really, he was the best running back in football. He deserves to be paid accordingly. Right. The easy answer, whether it's Matt Miller's tweet, whether it's you, me, and Eddie talking before the show, the easy answer for the team is kick the can down the road. Let's let this play out. And for... The team, you are effectively the house in Vegas. You, there's, you don't have to worry about anything. Like r- Regardless of what type of hand Jonathan Taylor has, hypothetical hand in terms of the, or metaphorical hand rather, of what he does this year, even if he is elite and the best running back in football, you tag him and that's it. That, that's, that's all you have to do as a team. There's nothing illegal about that. There's nothing heinous about that. It's just the way the CBA is built. But you mentioned that maybe there was regret from Saquon with the reports. Again, this is not something that James and I have, have had boots on the ground talking about, but just the reports nationally of where the conversations were for a Saquon Barkley extension a year ago or during the season, and did he maybe miss the mark on an opportunity to get an extension done earlier for what he thought was not a fair value. Right, and he talked himself about right. having that offer on the table and basically going back to the drawing board, but continue. The figure that is referenced on ESPN.com at some point earlier this year is a deal that would max out in $14 million a year. Now, the sticking point, again, this is from ESPN.com's story on Saquon Barkley and his comments yesterday on the Money Matters podcast. Sticking point was guaranteed money in the structure were never what Saquon Barkley wanted, and the Giants obviously ultimately used the franchise tag. If you're the Colts and you decide to do what, I don't know if you or I would do this from where our vantage point and our, our thoughts on the situation are now, but if you're the Colts and you have an opportunity to get an extension done now, where is your, if you're the general manager, if you're Chris Ballard, oh man, I know, where where <laughs> is your sticking point on per year? Where is your threshold of I'm not willing to go higher than that. let's let's let it play out. Because for me, and this is we, we've had varying discussions on this. For me, I now look at the rest of the market, and even though like JT has caught some passes in his career, I don't view him as a pass catching back the same way that, People do those that are at the top of the position, like Christian McCaffrey, like Alvin Kamara. I look at him more at Derrick Henry. So for me, it's a division rival. That back's making 12.5 a year. JT, I'll give you 13, maybe 13 and a half for three years. That is below the top of the market where it's at right now in terms of Kamara McCaffrey, but it's above the running back that's closest to your skill set that we feel you're better than. I think 13 for three would probably be my sweet spot because of 
Anthony Richardson developing. And by the time you hope that he's kind of shown to be a franchise quarterback, you can release yourself of JT or come back to the drawing board. Sort of like Cincinnati did with Joe Mixon. Like, hey, if you want to stay here, you're going to restructure your deal and take less money. Otherwise, we're cutting ties with you. So that's always an option. But I think the 313, 39 over three years would be the spot because I can't see him really resetting the market because even when he was a first-team All-Pro, they didn't make the playoffs. Josh Jacobs last year was fantastic for the Raiders. They didn't make the playoffs. And I think both you and I, I don't don't blame Josh Jacobs or Jonathan Taylor. They're not the reason why they didn't make it. But as a team, you now have that on your leverage side. Like, hey, this is your best year you ever had and didn't really matter for us. Right. And so that is why I think that I would, I wouldn't like lowball him, but I wouldn't go extremely high because of the position, the longevity or the life of the position, because all the data shows that you're great through your first few seasons. And after that, you taper off unless you're Derrick Henry, who's just a cyborg. I mean, He's the exception to the rule. And then obviously you have the Christian McCaffrey's of the world who are, he was injured for a couple of years, yeah. but now looks like the greatest, you know, guy on the field some days because he's so dynamic as a runner and as a pass catcher. Yeah, it's crazy where he ended up going from a bottom of the barrel NFC team to a Super Bowl contender in the NFC. It's crazy what that'll do for a top tier position. And he, he stayed healthy. That's the biggest yeah. thing. Like he was healthy. And so the narrative around his contract looks a lot different than it was say two or three years ago when everyone was saying, why the heck did you pay him all this money? Look at how dumb you are for doing it. And I don't even think Carolina regrets moving on from no, him. No, they don't because they realized they were dumb. They realized it was a stupid decision. They're like, yeah, hey, we, we need to move this off the books. This and they is did. not, doesn't match up with our timeline. Yeah, they did. They did. So I would say the teams that have rewarded those players with those contracts and stuck with them even Alvin Kamara with the Saints the Saints maybe don't feel great about still owing him a ton of money coming off the season he just has so that would be my spot for JT 39 million to cost three years and even then though as a general manager and I'm not saying Chris Ballard would do this but you don't have much incentive to offer anything more than the franchise tag times two or three literally because that's that's your biggest sticking point. And so if you really want to be shrewd and let's say the uh, franchise tag average or whatever it is comes out to 10 or 11, 12, whatever it is, that will be my baseline. That will be my starting point in negotiation, seriously. If I'm really the GM and I value every single dollar on the roster, which you should, I'm not going to throw you an extra $500,000 if I don't have to. I mean, it's bogus it's mean but it's also business and you don't have to concede anything if you're the general manager of the team in this scenario last three seasons 8.6 9.5 and this year 10 and some change million dollars was the franchise tag so you're seeing an, an incremental increase as the cap league wide starts to increase as well as the overall salaries around the league Again, that, that that changes on a number of different factors, but let's even say that it's eleven million or ten and a half next year. If that's the tag and it's a three million dollar increase, and you're becoming one of the highest paid per year salary guys, then from a team standpoint, you're happy with that. I know Jonathan Taylor might not be, I know running backs as a whole might not be, but it goes back to the whole thing like I'm not one to jump in here and say, like, oh, look at the look at the everyman 
and 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 people that are, are struggling to make ends meet or they're in a career field and, and Jonathan Taylor's over here griping about ten million dollars. Like I don't I don't put those on the same wavelength because it's monopoly money you're playing with the NFL. It's a different it's a different ball game. Um and if you're feeling like you're being taken advantage of, regardless if you're a running back or if you're a doctor like or, or, or a teacher, if you feel like you're being taken advantage of, you should go have a conversation to fight for what's right. Doesn't mean it's gonna work out for you. But you should have that conversation. Yes. Can we talk about this really quick on a tangent? The people who have been in my mentions saying, oh, $10 million is a lot of money, which Saquon Barkley actually said in a piece from the New York Daily News, I believe. And actually you can read it from Pat Leonard, who we'll have on tomorrow, talk about all these things. I thought his story was probably the best when it comes to all encompassing what Saquon meant what he felt what he said in its entirety rather than just that one quote about you know F you to the Giants and his teammates but people were saying oh that's a ton of money why would I ever feel sorry for him it's all relative yep if me and you Jimmy walk into a job and we do the same exact job or you feel like we do the same exact job now there's some nuance there obviously positions in the NFL but if you feel like I'm contributing just as much as the next guy and let's say we're making a hundred thousand dollars which is a lot of money for the average American but you come in someday and they're like, oh, here's 50000 more. Yeah. And we're, I'm like, dang, well, we're doing the same job. Why am I not getting more? I'm not going to be happy even though sure. I am getting paid a significant amount of money to do my job. Now, much like the NFL, there are – if you're all a part of the same team in a corporate setting and you're all trying to work the common goal of whatever it is, insert example here, the leader, the quarterback – going to make more money yeah and there's certain positions in your firm where they make they might make more money but if you're someone that's upset about well it's 10 million dollars i would take that in a heartbeat okay that's james mentioned it's relative the bigger thing to be frustrated with and to blame the players for which is where i kind of do and i get it it's hostile negotiations whenever you're discussing a cba with the owners but you agreed to this format right when you sat right. down at the negotiating table so I feel bad for Saquon to an extent because I believe he's taken adva- being taken advantage of to some extent. I'll feel the same way a little bit to Jonathan Taylor, but they got to the negotiating table. The entire Players Association, who just do some Google searches on the NFLPA, they are not afraid to fight for their own. Right. They got up to the table and said, this is fine. We're okay with this. Right, and I agree with that, but I also think that sometimes you could agree to something without knowing what it could turn into. Sure which is what I think this has become because franchise tags, I don't think they were invented to be used sort of like this. And it's become yeah. basically a way to prioritize your running back when he's at his peak and cast him aside when you don't want him anymore. That's sort of what it's become. Now, we've seen franchise tags with other players, even this past offseason, they just don't grab headlines because it's not as big of a deal for their position group. But, I mean, I agree when it comes to the way you look at it and the money and and the labor issue side of it. But even though they agreed to it, like you said, I'm not sure that all the players, even if they went back to the drawing board, will be on board to fight for this because we are talking about this one group, this one faction of a group. And the argument could be made that, okay, well, you know, this has always been the case. You know, there's been years with a tight end position their franchise tag number went up and down Zach Martin in Dallas offensive lineman feels like he is currently being undervalued and underpaid and he's the I think I can't remember what the figure is but he's less than the top seven highest paid offensive lineman 
that's this year, but before that, you've had more conversation, to your point, defensive end, defensive tackles, players that feel like they're being taken advantage of with the way the cap is structured and the and, way the tags are structured. And so that's why I think that it's not an argument that you could really win unless running backs were just like, we're not playing. And again, everyone can always say, oh, that's an option. They could just sit out. That's easy to say when you're not losing money. And even when people say, oh, what, what if they end up you know, actually changing things for the better? You might not feel that change in your career yeah. for yourself personally. And I don't care what anybody says. As nice as we are, as loving and together as we pretend to be, when it comes to money, yeah. it is always self-preservation in business. And I'm not saying that's, that's always the best way to go about it. But that's just reality. And so I'm not sure that other players will be willing to fight for running backs if they're not a running back. Like if I'm a wide receiver, if I'm a Michael Pittman Jr., I'm not too concerned with the franchise tag number for a running back because I'm not a running back. Yeah. And for whatever reason, God may be a wide receiver, so lucky me. So I just don't know how you really change this and if it's something that we have to sort of except in this league. And I don't want to say we, because I'm not in there too, but they have to accept. And I've seen also the narrative about, oh, don't let your kid play running back. First of all, your kid's not going to the NFL. So let them play whatever they want let to. Let them dream, James. Okay? Come on. I'm just saying, like, I've been around a lot of great athletes. And I'm not saying that uh, to be mean. No, I'm I understand. Joking. I understand. But the chances are very, very, very slim. Right. So if you want to have that conversation with, like, elite players who actually have a chance to play in college and beyond, then yes, sure. That's something that you should discuss. Sure. But for the average kid in America, please do not tell them, oh, don't be a running back because your future is – no, like, it's, it doesn't matter. Just play as long as you can. Have fun with it. But, again, this conversation at a grander scale won't change in my eyes because the league will never go back to the bell cow running back league that we saw, yep. I would even say, 10, 15 years ago. I want to, as we take a quick break – bring in because we had this conversation off air about how this impacts other players in the Colts that are in contract years, most notably of which is Michael Pittman Jr. But I want to go back to one other thing we talked about before we step aside for the first time here on the Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us as well. If you are one of the people that looks at what Saquon Barkley has on the table and says $10 million, I would love to have that amount of money, just sign it. Your rebuttal to him not wanting to sign it can't then also be, okay, then don't play. And don't get paid because if you were in his shoes and you're however much you're making a year is unfair to you, you want to fight for it. What winds up happening more often than not, unless you're in a union. See ya. No money for you. That's what that's 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 the option. Saquon exactly. has is either fight for what he wants or no money. The, 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 and it's not just him, by the way. It's not like it's one selfish player. It is, it is league wide frustrations growing to the point that now Jonathan Taylor is going to have potentially a mindset that I need to be a soldier for my fellow running backs here. And honestly, I'm very excited to be heading into training camp to have a chance to talk to Chris Ballard early next week about this. We'll ask about JT. He's seen the landscape of the market. The last time we spoke to him, he was kind of saying like, yeah, if the player is good enough, we'll reward him. But has your mind changed? They haven't used a franchise tag since 2013. It was on a punter. By the name of Pat McAfee, don't know if you know him. <laughs> but again, that wasn't something that would break the bank. Yeah. So you just wonder if the Colts would buck that trend and kind of get in line with the rest of the league. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look at other players in a similar situation to Jonathan Taylor on the Colts right now. Maybe not as public, but there's a number of different decisions that they'll have to make this offseason depending on where extensions go throughout the year. I'm Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, with us along with Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show. Coming right back at you. 
Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. Be an interesting couple of weeks at training camp. Oh, yes. Grand Park and Westfield, not just because football is finally back and <laughs> we can just inject it straight into our veins and, 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 and overreact and try to figure out if because there was a two snap count disparity one way or the other between Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew that that's going to be the starter week one. There, there, there's... It's on the horizon, James. Aren't you excited? You thought you were upset about a Giants fan in your mentions yesterday. Just wait until we get into the nitty-gritty of oh, the man. quarterback battle. It is going to be so ridiculous, but I'm looking forward to it. Like All Colts fans out there, all football fans, please send me all of your takes, all of your opinions after every video, every tweet, every story. And jokes aside, I, I really do like this time of year because – you feel like you finally get to see at least a glimpse of whatever changes your team has made beyond just the Colts. And so I'm excited about that. And to just see Richardson in particular perform in front of the fan base for the first time. And so they'll be able to, with their own eyes, for better or worse, (laughs) hopefully not for worse, (laughs) kind of appreciate or not appreciate whatever he does out there. The rest of this roster has a handful of notable pieces that are also entering contract years. Yeah. And we outlined a couple weeks ago, the only real scenario, if you're a running back that wants to hit the free agent market, and that's a conversation we're going to get into as well this hour, of whether or not that actually matters, mm-hmm. being, on the, being on the free agent market be, versus having the tag used against you or used for you. But the only scenario where a running back could potentially get away scot-free and hit the open market is if there's multiple players that are also right. in contract disputes <laughs> and there's only one franchise tag to go around. Right. I'm not saying these names in any particular order. I'm just saying a couple off the top. Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, Michael Pittman Jr. All potential players that, again, I'm... Is Kenny Moore likely to be back here next year? I mean, he's an older veteran cornerback. I don't know what he feels his market is. He's needed right now, especially because of where the cornerback room is right now. So and they he might the, need me or you yeah. out there if they lose anybody else. <laughs> he, he is the elder statesman there as well, not to mention he's a body that you can throw out there. But is he going to be here? I don't know. Grover Stewart, again, you're looking up at the trenches, a valuable spot where you need playmakers. You have DeForest Buckner there as well. I'm willing to hear a conversation whether or not he is a prime extension candidate or not. The other weapon, though, on the same side of the ball. It's Michael Pittman Jr. Dun, dun, dun. And we talked about what Michael Pittman Jr. should be saying in all this. If I'm Michael Pittman Jr., this is not for the team. What I'm about to say is not for the team. It's not for the Colts. not for the fans. not for anybody. It's for me, Michael Pittman Jr. in this scenario. I'm kicking my feet up, and I'm just, I'm just enjoying it all. And by enjoying it all, I mean I might want to fight for my money at some point. My agent's going to do that for me. I don't have to have a public PR fight for it right now because Jonathan Taylor is doing that. Yeah. Like, I don't think this is going to happen, but can you imagine if the Colts highly value Michael Pittman Jr.? Maybe not even as a wide receiver one, but as as a key part of this offense, wide receiver two. And we talk about year after year after year, the Colts take care of their own. There's an extension that happens before the season starts. Can you imagine what's going to happen, not just with Jonathan Taylor or the NFL at large, if the position group they're fighting against, which is wide receivers, they feel like wide receivers from the second to third place in the depth chart down are getting paid more than they are. 
Can you imagine what happens if it's Michael Pittman Jr. that gets the extension to start the year? Because that's what, like, if I am team building, the money, it would all depend on the money. And we're going to bring Eddie in this segment too because there's conflicting feelings in the room in general about what Michael Pittman Jr. is worth versus what the market would dictate. Because you can't manipulate that with wide receivers like you can running backs. No. That is real Monopoly money where you're seeing... Guys like Christian Kirk, who looked like his contract work last year last year in Jacksonville, he looked like he deserved it, despite people, myself included, being critical of it. That is an area where it's a whole different kind of monopoly money. But if I could get Michael Pittman Jr. at the right price this year, and I'd have to, we'd have to really go through the numbers and figure out what that right price would be, I would extend Michael Pittman Jr. I don't want to tag a wide receiver. The, the gap alone between those two, and maybe the Colts wouldn't do it. You see teams let go of wide receivers all the time because the tag is too expensive. But the gap alone between what a tag is for a wide receiver versus a running back, I believe is around $5 million, if not more. Yeah, you know, pocket change. But no, I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, you but, may- but, but that, that could very well, like, no, I haven't heard that a ton, but if that was to happen, it changes the whole dynamic of what this season is. Because now Jonathan Taylor can legitimately look a couple lockers down from him. And it's a position group you're fighting against and realize he got taken care of. There's a franchise tag waiting for me behind door number three. That's where I'm at now. I mean, it's what Saquon is going through. He has to literally look at the guy who's handing him the ball and be like, he's handing me the money that I'm making him. Maybe there's some money with the football, right? (laughs) It's it's there. He's he's also taking care of him. Don't get me started on McDonald's (laughs) bags and other things. But... To your point, and to take it a step further with Michael Pittman Jr. about kicking his feet up and waiting, the best case scenario for him is for JT to get tagged because then it can't be used on him and he could use whatever leverage he has, which he has much more leverage, to say this is what I want. Because, again, the market is willing to perhaps overpay for him if he becomes a free agent next summer because he is a pass catcher. He's a pretty good one, and he could be someone – Sort of like a Christian Kirk, we're in a different situation. Maybe you look at him in a different light, and he is a bigger piece. And you also do not want any pass catchers, and obviously your best one on the team right now, to be going out of the door when you've just brought in your rookie quarterback who needs all the help he can get to develop. Numbers and me don't get along very well, by the way. It's not 15, it's 19 million dollars. 19 million dollars versus 10 million dollars in the tag. Eddie, go ahead, but I just wanted to clarify that. that That's what you're looking at from this year's tag numbers, and you can expect Ooh. that to go up once again next year. I think you guys both make interesting points because I think Pittman can sure sit there and just wait for Taylor's contract situation to play, and who knows, that could be the case. And like, He could be the guy that gets the extension before training camp, before the season starts, because that's the one player we're not talking about. All the focus right now has been on Jonathan Taylor and then, yeah. you know, behind the back door, behind curtains and everything. It could really be the Colts and Pittman working towards an extension because, like, you look at the numbers. With Carson Wentz as his quarterback, he put up nearly 1,100 yards yeah. and six touchdowns. Yeah. And then last year he almost caught 100, 100 balls and he was 75 <laughs> yards short of 1,000 yards. He missed one game last year. He missed three game or four however many in his rookie year. Like, he has been durable, he's been available, and he's produced no matter how bad the quarterback position has been. That's like, his argument. I know. Like, I would I would extend Taylor. Or, not Taylor, but I would extend Pittman before Taylor because I think the value that you can get from Pittman is a lot more return on investment worthy with your quarterback compared to Jonathan Taylor. So here's my question for you, Eddie. According to Spot Rack, I hope I'm saying that right, or Spot Track, however you pronounce it, they have his market value at $18.4 million a year. Yep. 
what are you because I would if I'm Pittman I'm asking for 20 million at least a year if not more what is your number and I'm not saying this is what Ballard is thinking I'm just saying from a general fan reporter perspective what would you say is your sweet spot for getting a deal done with him 20 million like when you look at it in terms of the in landscape of players at that position you're looking at Keenan Allen Amari Cooper Mike Williams Chris Godwin and Brandon Cooks those are wide receivers right there in that yeah, 20 million that, and he sounds range. like one in that group like yep. not super elite but really good player that could help your team yep and then dj moore is right there too he's at 20 and a half but like that's the kind of grouping i put uh michael pittman jr in so like i'd be comfortable with 20 million a year plus the cap's only going to continue to go up so it's like yeah so if you get it done earlier it yeah. helps you on the back end i think that that's honestly the spot but also the point that i set off air is we have to find out if Pittman really wants to be here. I think that if you offer him four years, $20 million a year, I would just sign on the dotted line because football is brutal and you don't know where you're going and, and if your career could change at any you know given moment. But I'm not entirely sold that he wants to be – I'm not saying he's unhappy. It's just that he wasn't as forthcoming about like his sentimental feelings with the Colts – as it was with JT. JT's like, man, I got drafted here. I want to retire here. I always want to be a Colt. And Michael Pittman Jr. was asked about, you know, getting an extension number for the season. He's like, you know, I wouldn't say it's a goal. And this is literally what he said. I wouldn't say it's a goal. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the second half of this, but he's basically said, you know, if it happens, it happens. If not, I'll let my agent handle all that, all that stuff. So again, he isn't as gung-ho about being here. And I'm just wondering even if he's like, I like Indy, I want to be here, would he himself bet on this upcoming season because he's not going to get any more money than what he's getting on the rookie deal this year and try to enter free agency with the option to look at all you know, money bags from every team and also their quarterback situation because let's say AR is the guy, he probably won't be able to really show it or prove it until what year three unless he takes like a massive leap and he's just that dude right away or something like that but realistically three years four years from now you're hoping that he is the guy but is Pittman who's 25 right now about to be 26 during the season he's he's someone who's like I want to you know bet my prime years on this rookie quarterback to Eddie's point about where these salaries are right now 20 million is probably about my peak point for Michael Pittman Jr. Three or four years, $20 million. Eddie mentioned the names. When you get past DJ Moore, you start getting into the range of 23 to $30 million a year. That's Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, Svon Diggs, AJ Brown, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill. John Taylor, in my mind, is not better than any of those names I just mentioned. I'm willing to hear an argument about those below him with where they're at in their careers right now. Like Amari Cooper's a wide receiver one, was at one point in time in his career. Right, right. He's expected to be that in Cleveland. Right. He's making $20 million a year. That's from a, a long-term deal that what he... I can't remember if he signed that with Cleveland or if he signed it with Dallas. I can't remember where that contract eventually made up. I, either way, that was his value at that point in time. Christian Kirk was a free agent. He gets $18 million a year. Is Michael Pittman Jr. better than Christian Kirk? I think he can be. I was going to say that's what you don't know because he hasn't been given the opportunity to play for guys of that caliber. I truly believe... Is he better than Corey Davis? Is he better than Cortland Sutton? Like, 
I, I would be willing to say yes to those I, two. I would say yes to the right to those. Guys. I, and, and that's that's twelve and a half. That's fifteen million dollars. Is he better than Hunter Renfro? I I I'd probably rather have Michael Pittman Jr. than Hunter Renfro. Mike Evans, you can't really use because he's thirty and it's sixteen and a half, and he's being paid on the back end of a contract that. He's still a good wide receiver, but I mean, he wouldn't get that type of money right now if he was available. That's true. And just a aside, does he keep his thousand yard streak going? <laughs> I'm just fascinated by this. I mean, either you can answer, does he keep his thousand yard streak going? I think it's at like nine or ten right now. It's Baker there this year, yeah. Yeah. I think Baker takes care of him. I think he gets there. I'm not saying that's gonna le- uh, lead to like a great season for the Buccaneers, oh, but boy. sure. I'm just curious because I'm like, man, at some point will this end? Because he You can put up numbers without like you don't just need to be a good quarterback to solely put up good numbers for your wide receivers. Like yeah, I'm, not yeah, saying, Winston. I'm not saying the Baker's going to lead him to to uh, that's fair. I mean, playoffs. He's not lying. I mean, literally, Pittman was probably three or four just downfield throws last year from being a thousand yard receiver in an abysmal offense, and they just couldn't throw the ball down the field. So, getting back to the point, I think that his values is higher than some of the guys you mentioned, but. What helps him, unlike JT, well, it helps both of them. Anthony Richardson is the key, and it's how much do you value these guys in relation to them. And those salary floors are better for Michael Pittman Jr. in terms of you look at the top 20 guys, you try to average out what they're making at wide receiver as we got to take a quick break and we'll resume this when we come back. But you look at that versus where the running backs are, you get to south of $20 million very quickly with the running backs you have to go pretty far down the list before that hits you with wide receivers. We'll yes. talk about that a little bit more when we come back here on the Fan Midday Show. That would help. When we went to break, we were discussing where the Colts were in terms of their contract negotiations with Jonathan Taylor and how Michael Pittman Jr. will be impacted or not by that. It's a shorter segment, so we don't have as much time to get into that. But to put a bow on it for now and probably come back to it, in the 2 o'clock hour. That market for wide receivers, we talk about playing with Monopoly money, is so different when you look at the running back market because of how much money top 20, top 25 guys are making and how steady that value is versus the running back market where you have Kamara and McCaffrey and then you start to see what would be a bad day at the stock market. In terms yeah. of the rest of the salaries that are out there. It's again, it's tough sledding at that position. And you almost feel like if you weren't paid three or four years ago, like some of these guys we mentioned, the Kamars of the world, the Henrys, the McCaffreys, I don't see how that trend gets flipped in the future. I mean, it's tough. It's not something you want to go through as a player, but how do you change a market when it's based off supply and demand and it's proven that we can replace you mm-hmm. with someone who's maybe not as good as you, but good enough to get us to where we want to go? The other aspect of this, again, we'll get into this in the two o'clock hour, but for Jonathan Taylor with where he is at this point in time and he's worried about the tag, I don't know how much this conversation for him and getting paid changes if he was just a free agent outright. And the reason I say that is because talk about the Colts using the tag as a weapon. I don't know how much he'd really be making per year if he was just a free agent on the open market, because it's not just a one off team situation. It is league wide for the most part. We're not going to pay 
arm and a leg for running backs anymore. To my knowledge, Dalvin Cook remains unsigned, right? Yeah. Yep. And this is a guy who just had four straight 1,000-yard seasons, four straight Pro Bowl seasons, and he remains unsigned. Yep. It is the state of running back, and I'm glad you brought up Dalvin Cook because that's another name and why it's very dark for running backs right now that I want to get into a little bit later in the show. We're going to pivot towards the NBA. We'll not just finalize everything with Summer League, but where things are at post-free agency, not just for the Pacers, but the league as a whole. And a lot of quiet and a lot of fighting publicly within the media regarding a couple of top superstars that are hoping to force their way out of their respective homes. Mike Vorkanoff going to join us. He covers the NBA at large for The Athletic when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Still here, vibing out in the DriveHewler.com studio alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. I'm James Boyd. Listening to the Midday Show here on The Fan, we've had a lot of discussions about the NFL, the Colts, running back contracts. We're going to pivot to the NBA and the Pacers, who could be one of those up-and-coming teams next season that sticks to the play-in or the playoffs, as I like to say. We have Mike Vorkanov, who covers the NBA for The Athletic. I guess he's my co-worker, technically, even though I haven't met him, but I appreciate him taking the time. Mike, how you doing? Hey, we're, we're kind of like a vast universe of writers, kind of like the MCU. We all kind of exist somewhere, even if our story lies. <laughs> it is always funny because I'm like, I'll read something on The Athletic and I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, that's my coworker. But Mike, you had a great piece, I thought, on the Pacers this offseason. Got a lot of great comments from our, our supporters, our subscribers who were saying, Pacers content, we have it now. But what did you think of their offseason? And in particular, the way they went about getting Bruce Brown. I, you know, I, I really liked it. That was kind of like the drive for me uh, in writing that story because I was, I was intrigued by, you know, I was intrigued by the, the Pacers last season. Um, obviously Tyreek Halliburton is just a very likable guy and he plays a very fun way. And that always kind of sucks you in. Right. And, but they were also surprised early on in the season before he got hurt. Uh, they, they were above 500 in January, and I think maybe their season might have turned out differently uh, if he could have played and stayed healthy for the whole year. Um, and so I was interested in what they would do this offseason, and I thought they took a, a great approach. You know, they added a connector, a guy like Bruce Brown. They paid a premium for it, right, two years, $45 million. But in talking to GM Chad Buchanan, they definitely recognized that was the way that they'd have to acquire someone like him who had probably like a handful of, Teams ready to offer him the mid-level or maybe just about above the mid-level. And so they had to blow the market out. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what a team like the Pacers has to do. And so I thought it was a great start to free agency for them amongst all the other moves they had. Mike, when you look at a player like Obi Toppin, another name that the Pacers were able to acquire for relatively low cost this offseason, why in your mind didn't things work out the way that he would have liked to being a one of the top picks in the 2020 draft in New York? And why should there be reason for optimism for Pacers fans that even if he won't be what he was drafted to be, he could be a valuable piece to a young core? So, uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me about the Pacers was that they did two things, right? They tried to fix their defense with Bruce Brown. Uh, they had a bottom five defense in the league last year, and that makes sense. You want to fix the big problems that you have. Uh, and I thought they leaned into their strengths, which was playing fast and playing in a style that accents uh, Tyrese Halliburton's strengths. Uh, you know, they, they had, the, I think, the fourth fastest team in the NBA last year. And 
Obi Toppin is a guy who likes to get up and down the floor. So one of the reasons why I think he struggled in New York, aside from being drafted onto a team with Julius Randle, and so he really only got 12 minutes or so, 15 minutes or so a game um, during his career with Randle flourishing into an all-NBA-level player and uh, Tom Thibodeau struggling with uh, putting him on the court because of his defense, he's at his best in transition. And the Knicks under Thibodeau do not like to play fast. They're one of the slowest teams in the league. And that did not suit Toppin's style. And, you know, he's a talented guy. He likes to get up and down the court. He can hit threes. He's more of like a kind of a tweener type, not a true four. You know, he can play on the perimeter. He's not going to defend well enough to be a five or a front court rim protected type of guy. But I think in Indiana, he can play uh, with Hal Burton, give him a running mate, play with the rest of that offense, have Miles Turner behind him on defense to make up for some of his issues. And I think that he'll fit in well um, in Indiana once he gets there because it's a team that'll play like how he likes to play. Now, obviously, they had to give up two second-round picks for Obi Toppin. I read your story, and I thought it was hilarious when you were talking to Chad Buchanan about the unique way they went about getting Bruce Brown. At least that's how Chad described it. I'm thinking to myself, the unique way was, hey, here's a bag of money. Come play for us. And so, and I get it as a GM, you have to say things in a professional manner, in a formal manner, but I was thinking to myself, that was your biggest selling point, along with obviously playing alongside Tyrese Halliburton. And the question that I've kind of had for a few guests that we've had on the show is, in all these talks about the Pacers, even with their draft picks, you know, Jairus Walker being a potential starter for this team and someone who could help, you know, defensively. How do you think Miles Turner fits into all of this? Because he's a guy who for so long was looked at as trade bait and has been in trade rumors ever since he's been here, it seems like, in in Indiana. But now it seems like he could really be a focal point to help this team return to the playoffs. And I believe he might be the only guy on the team who's been to the playoffs in a Pacers uniform. Yeah, I do want to say, though, uh, I agree with you. Usually, like, throwing the bag at someone is the most obvious way to acquire a player in free agency. Uh, Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) But I I guess it's unique because, you know – Front offices now, especially, are just so tied up in like making sure they have maximum efficiency uh, in all their acquisitions. Right, you're not paying too much in terms of like wins per dollar or any of that sort of stuff. So it's unique in that way that they maybe like. I, I thought it was interesting. He kind of said like, "Yeah, we kind of overpaid," uh, yeah. but that's what you got to do. But um, also, the team option helps as well. So there's a little yeah. bit of like recourse there. So yeah, yeah, and it helps them keep him uh, if they want to long term because. They can, you know, maybe decline the team option or they can give an extension on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all that CBA mechanics stuff uh, that we don't need to get into. But with Miles Turner, I, I think he's vital to this team, right? And we just talked about all their defensive problems. He's the guy who anchors that defense. He's their best defender. He's a rim protector. They need that more than ever. And so they're going to need him uh, to be the backbone of that defense the entire season. And maybe Jairus Walker will turn into a guy that you can rely on as a really good defender. Uh, in the front court, maybe some multi-positional defending, and who knows about his rim protection. He showed signs of that during summer league, but again, you know, it's summer league. You take that for what it's worth, right? Uh, but I, they're going to need Turner to stay healthy, and it's ironic that now he's in such a vital place for the franchise after they basically spent like the last four years or so with him on the trade market. Yeah, I remember when I asked him a couple years ago when I covered the Pacers for Indy Star. I was like, hey, how does it feel to be in the trade rumors? And he's like, I can tell you're new here because this happens every year. I feel the same as I always do. And I was like, oh, welcome to the NBA, James. But when you talk about Jairus Walker, you mentioned a little bit there, his defensive prowess, some of the flashes he showed. But 
What would you like to see it in person in Vegas? And also just maybe some of the versatility offensively when it came to being sort of like that hub that could make some things happen, whether it's a dribble handoff, you know, maybe a little bit of outside shooting, put it on the floor, passing, things like that. Yeah, I mean, the defense came as advertised, right? That was his, kind of his calling card going into the draft and uh, why he became a lottery pick, and he's got that physicality to him. Uh, obviously, playing at Houston, which values defense and being mm-hmm. physical for a college program, you got to have that. Um, but I was surprised by his offense, as you said. I, I thought he turned out to be kind of a deft passer, and I didn't know if I was expecting that so much from him. Um, but he looked comfortable in the short role. He looked comfortable kind of making passes and playmaking uh, for his teammates, he got up and down the court a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think that'll help him get on the court initially. You know, usually they say it's the defense, but I, I think in Indiana, if they're trying to play fast and trying to make sure that they have to score enough points, right? If you're not going to defend well, you you got to do the other part really well. Um, I, I think they may help him get him on the court. And I'm curious to see what the minutes breakdown is going to be between him and Toppin uh, next season as they almost come at it from two different perspectives uh, in terms of their skill sets. Mike Vorganoff with us covers the NBA for The Athletic here on the Fan Midday Show, taking some time with us. Mike, when you look at how complex rebuilds can be, especially for smaller market teams, and you look at a guy like Benedict Matherin who's ready for his sophomore season and had mixed results at Summer League, which again, we'll take with a grain of salt to some extent, but definitely would expect a little bit more prowess from your second-year guys versus rookies that are just getting their feet to the fire with other rookies, but with how complex these rebuilds can be, how imperative is it for Benedict Matherin to be a pick that not only is usable, but that pans out for the Pacers? And what do you need to see from him from the national level, along with Tyrese Halliburton as a, as a co-pilot to him for this Pacers offense? Yeah, I think, I mean, he's kind of their best uh, lottery ticket, so to speak, right? Like, they have Halliburton, and he's turned into a really good player and all-star, but they need Matherin to hit and take a big leap forward, too, because you're going to need uh, multiple all-stars if you want to be a you know a conference final-level team or a consistent playoff team uh, eventually down the line. And so uh, maybe Walker gets there, but Matherin, you know, I thought he showed some flashes in his rookie year as a, you know, a very good score, if not the efficiency uh, part there as a rookie, but that's also kind of to be expected. Um, and, and sure, the, you know, the struggles at summer league, or at least the lack of domination, like you saw from like a Jabari Smith, maybe is a, a sign of concern, but we'll see what happens when he actually gets into an NBA game. But I, I think they need him. It, you know, he's vital to their long-term term build, right? Like you need multiple ball handlers you need multiple playmakers in the backcourt who can really create and break down defenses uh and he's their next best course for that behind Halberton, especially with uh, buddy healed i think he has one year left on his contract and so um you know andrew nemhard obviously played well as a rookie but i i think their ceilings are two different cases so it, you know i'm curious to see where matherin comes in next year and what he can provide for the pacers long term as well Mike, one of the things that you hit on just there a little bit, and even in this piece, was Andrew Nimhard. How impressive has he been considering where he was drafted? I know they really invested a lot of money in him last year. I believe he got the second, I'm going to say the largest contract ever for a second round pick or something like that, at least the guaranteed money. But what do you think of his rookie season and just what he showed in summer league? Because of all the players there for the Pacers, he may have been the most impressive, at least from my perspective. Yeah, and I mean, look, he was so good as a rookie, right? Especially as a second-round pick. He just outplayed all expectations. Um, 
And maybe it wasn't so surprising just because he was an older rookie and he had been in college for a while. But nonetheless, the the value there uh, for when he went in the draft and how he played, uh, the Pacers obviously did well to draft him and to bring him into their organization. And so it would make sense that he would play well in a second summer league as you know. And I think he fills a vital role in that he can be that, you know, kind of backup point guard, third guard type of guy. Uh, on the roster, maybe step into a starting role down the line uh, if need be, and just really be on a cheap contract too. Um, even if it's a big one for a second round pick, over in overall in the you know big scheme of things, it's not that expensive, uh, and he can provide a lot of value for the contract that he's on. And uh, you know the Pacers are building a really nice backcourt there, especially with him and Matherin um, and Halberton who's pretty young too. And so I'm going to be curious to see what it all looks like going forward. I, I think they have the versatility with the healed contract and Miles Turner only having two years left on his deal to also, uh, if they want to, you know, potentially make a, a bigger trade down the line. Look at look at Miles Turner and trade in the same sentence already. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, uh, we just talked about him as being an important part of the team. I mean, it's fair. It's very fair. And the, and the way that deal was structured, I'm sure the, the Pacers loved it because it does give them that flexibility when Halliburton and hopefully Matherin are entering their prime. But one thing I want to ask you about this upcoming season is, are they a playoff team? I know you talked about that with Chad Buchanan. He seems to be like, hey, this is what we're shooting for. We want to be in the thick of things when the regular season ends. So I've been debating it back and forth. Are they a top six team next season in the East? I don't know if I'd go that far. I think they're probably a, more likely I'd project them as like a, a play-in mm-hmm. uh, team somewhere in that 7 to 10 range. You know, the top of the East is still pretty good with, you know, Boston and Milwaukee and Miami. And I think I'll still put Philly up there, even if they get their hardened stuff figured out or, or if they don't. And, um, you know, Cleveland's pretty good. And, and, you know, we'll see kind of what happens in the rest of the conference. Um I think Orlando could take a leap. I really like what they did, and, and we'll see what happens to Brooklyn with the full season of their current roster. But I would project them more so in that 7-10 to 10 range. Uh, but you never know, right? You never know what happens, and maybe everyone has a breakout season all at the same time, and they jump into that uh, 5 or 6 seed, and it helps to have a really good coach with Rick Carlisle. Mike, I want us to go big picture NBA nationally in just a second. But first, since we have you, I know you'd had a piece talking about the way salaries need to be viewed in the NBA and they should be viewed with the cap continuing to go up as a percentage of the cap instead of dollar amounts. Yes. And and, and while I I know James is eager to dive into that, too, I'll let him have that question because my angle for it is how it impacts us locally in a different sport. I know it's outside of your lane a bit, but Indianapolis Colts running back Jonathan Taylor is still on one year of his contract and then could be franchise tag, just like Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs were for the Giants and Raiders respectively. When you look at the NBA, what, if anything, is the closest thing to a franchise tag-like weapon that that teams have when it comes to player negotiations, or, or is there one? I mean, there's nothing that quite has the same kind of ability to stop a player from hitting the market. You know, it's probably be something like uh, the Supermax contract because that can only go to someone who's, um, you know, been with his team his whole life, uh, sorry, his whole career, um, unless they got traded during their rookie deal. So, I, I mean, you kind of see it with Pascal Siakam now, probably wants why he wants to stay in Toronto is that the Raptors are the only team that can give him that 35% uh, Supermax contract as opposed to anywhere else, if he can get trading, you get that 30%. Uh, and then you so ask out. 
<laughs> that, that is the play. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. not wrong. <laughs> you get your money, then you spend a year or two there, and then you go where you actually want to go. Exactly. But, yeah, that's, that's a discussion of another story. <laughs> but that that would probably be the closest thing that I can think of to kind of the equivalent of the franchise tag. But, I mean, the franchise tag is just so much more um, inhibitive for a player than it is, and then there is anything in the NBA. Yeah, and as Jimmy alluded to, how important do you think it is, even just for the casual fan, because I have a hard time with this myself, like they paying them what kind of money? To look at it, like you said in your piece, from a percentage of the cap space rather than the dollar amount, because I believe when we're old and gray, the contracts are going to be really crazy. We're going to be like, they're paying $100 million for, you know, their eighth. Timothy Mosgoff? Yeah, for like their, oh, okay, well, that was always, you know, a bad idea. But, you know, for their sixth guy on their team, they're paying them $100 million. So how have you seen maybe that narrative or at least how are you trying to help shift that narrative and at least maybe be more educational in that sense? Yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, it's nothing new. Like, team execs and player agents have been doing it for a while as kind of the level setting in their contract negotiations, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they do that in the NFL as well. Yeah. I don't know much about the process there. Um, but to me, like, it's going to be most instructive first with the guys who are earning the max deals. You know, I think there's a chance if, if the cap rises the maximum amount or, you know, uh, or even maybe if it doesn't, um, you know, by the end of the decade, like we'll see the salary cap triple from what it was in like 2013. Right. So you're talking about tripling in about 15 years. Um, you know, I, I think we'll see salaries approaching, uh, $80 million, $80 million by the end of the decade annually for these super max guys. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to like a hundred million dollar per year player, um, maybe around like a, a decade from now. And so, you see that and you're thinking, oh, wow, this guy's making $80 million. That's so much money. But it's it's actually right in line with what, you know, say Kobe was making uh, $30 million 10 years ago, right? Like it's the same percentage of the cap, essentially. Um, and then, you know, it's making sense of the guys who make $20 million now. And it's just basically NBA inflation. And that's how you have to understand that is that, uh, you know, the, they have 51% of the basketball-related income goes to the players every year. And so you got to spend that money somehow. And so we see these salaries rise up, and that means the NBA is doing so much better, right? It's a reflection of the league itself doing well financially uh, and the owners prospering from it, and this is uh, the players prospering from it as well. It's just that their success and their financial benefits are front-facing, whereas we don't know what happens to the owners and how much money they make on the back end because that's, you know, that's less transparent. Well, I'll tell you what I – I'm a big fan of NBA inflation if I'm a player. And it's a much, it sounds very much more enticing than this regular inflation I'm dealing with in my day to day life when it comes to like apartments and things like that and, you know, buying a house. You know, you don't have to worry about that if you're making that kind of money in the NBA. So kudos to those guys who worked on my jumper. But when you talk about Supermax contracts, one guy who has one of those is Damian Lillard. And he had the option to turn down that option that deal to have control of his future full control but now he's asking out a year after signing an extension and do you think this is something that is a good or bad look for the league or is it just what it is at this point and being sort of a player league and I ask that because I cover a league now where players don't have that kind of power and do you foresee that as being a problem, particularly for small market teams, that they want to keep a guy in their city, but you know you sign him to all this money, and then a year later he's like, I only want to go here for asking out. It's not even just you're asking out. It's saying I only want to go to this one team. 
Well, I mean, Portland doesn't have to trade into Miami, right? Like, that's the thing in the end of it. I think that – I don't know if it's gone too far or not in terms of how often these players – how players have asked out. You know, I, I think it's a fair reciprocation of when teams trade players, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Like, it's the same way. You know, I was talking to, like, an agent I remember last summer, and he's like, look, we're just trying to get the financial uh, structure settled in for the contract, and then we'll figure out the rest later, right? The same way a team wants to sign a player, and if they eventually down the line want to trade them, that's what their decision is. You know, that's the whole point of a contract is both of you, uh, both sides get to have the money that you've locked into that contract. Um, I, you know, I think the difference is just, like, Superstars, especially in the NBA, just have so much more power than anyone else in the NFL, right? Save for yeah. a few probably select quarterbacks. And so they can determine their futures um, in a much more uh, open way than, than probably a lot of other players can. And, you know, I, I've been surprised the last few years how often teams have acceded to those players when they ask out. And, and I think it's probably more jarring now when you see a uh, team like Portland that necessarily doesn't get a deal done right away to the team that uh, Damian Lillard wants or like, you know, Philadelphia, which hasn't traded James Harden and Daryl Morey has gone out there saying like, we're going to wait uh, for the right deal for us because we've seen teams be so player friendly uh, when there has been that conflict in the years past. And it's becoming more notable now um, when they haven't. And I don't know how players in the NFL can match that without some kind of bargaining involved. Um, in their next CBA or, or just being able to withhold their labor in a way that uh, really makes it punitive for teams when uh, when when they don't want to give them the contract that they want or something like that. Mike Vorganoff covers the NBA nationally for The Athletic. Mike, you mentioned the ongoing debate, and it's been around a number of different media outlets, of how much leverage either side has in these negotiations and whether or not Portland really has potential other offers or other pathways to trade Damian lower than just sending him to Miami. And there's been debates about, you know, Tyler Hero's value or if they were to do something to acquire Tyrese Maxey in a trade instead. As you look around the league and you see different reports coming out about where the leverage really is from the conversations you you've had is there a clamoring to get Damian Lillard within potential suitors in the NBA right now? Or is it really just Miami knows what they want to offer and they know that Damian Lillard wants to come here. So eventually Portland might have to bend the knee in this situation. I actually think one of the most interesting parts about this Damian Lillard, um, this whole thing is that this is the first super superstar trade request that we've seen under the new CBA, right? And I'm curious how that changes or if it resets kind of the expected value um, that teams send over, you know, when they do trade for a star like of Lillard's caliber, right, a top 10 guy in the league. We saw that really get to maybe an unsustainable level uh, the last few years in the league with the Durant trade and the Rudy Gobert trade and just how many picks you had to throw in and good young players. But now having a guy like Lillard who will make, you know, I think $63 million in the last year of his contract. Yes. Um, and how painful that is for uh, if you if you you know if that takes you over the second apron, um, and what that does to teams, and so that to me is like very interesting to see how teams deal with all of that and how it affects their mindset. And so, you know, I think Miami can make a pretty good deal. Um, you know, they can make a, a I think three picks, maybe get up to four picks depending on Hero and um, you know what they do with their protected pick to the Thunder, and they can throw in some young players, and, and that's not nothing. I, I think maybe it's been misconstrued as like Miami can offer just a very, very bad trade offer to Portland. I don't think that's true, um, and it's also a case of like what other teams that Damian Lillard might want to go to 
or would at least make sense for Damian Lillard can offer a lot for him, right? Like, what is the marketplace as they weigh all of these things? And I, I really don't know. I, I don't know what that looks like. I, I think um, it's going to be interesting to me just how the new CBA combined with uh, the competitive situation that the league is in right now kind of all mixes to create whatever the outcome is uh, for the lower situation, you know, whenever whenever this ends, whether it takes a few months, as Joe, uh, Joe Cronin said uh, last week in Vegas. Yeah, I just feel for my fellow beat writers out there because I'm like, this is something I do not envy having to cover at all. But one thing I do want to ask, and it is more just on-court production value and just your thoughts on how the basketball fit will be, the two teams who were in the finals prior to this past season were the Warriors and the Celtics. What do you think of the additions and subtractions they made this offseason? You know, in Boston, they added Porzingis. They, you know, got rid of Marcus Smart. In Golden State, you know, they shipped out Jordan Poole. They brought in Chris Paul. Do you think these moves could help them get back to the finals and have a shot to win it all? I'm most interested by what Boston did uh, because I think it really kind of changes the nature of their team, right? We saw it in the first season under Joe Mazzulla where they went away from a defense first type of style to really trying to play uh, to maximize their offense more so. And maybe you saw that in the way how often like Grant Williams didn't play in the playoffs. And now that they're trading Marcus Smart away from, you know, an offense first player like Kristaps Porzingis, it's really interesting to me that they're leaning into um, trying to be a better offensive team and a kind of away from their defensive backbone that got them to the finals. The what was a year ago now, and so uh, I think probably they got better. Although I'm not entirely sure, it's clear that they needed more scoring and they needed another offensive outlet the last few years beyond um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. We'll see if Kristaps Porzingis is the right guy to be uh, the answer to that. I, I don't know. I think he's got an interesting game and, and he's a little more mid-range heavy, and he obviously likes to work out of the post sometimes. So we'll see how that all mixes together. Um, as for Golden State, you know, I, I think they could be a better team next year because I, I think Chris Paul might still just be a better player uh, than Jordan Poole. Obviously, like, the injuries are a huge, huge question, so his availability is a big question. Uh, you can't be a better player if you're not on the court. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I think they could be a little bit better, and it helps them out long-term in terms of their payroll and just, again, the new CBA and avoiding that because they can get out of that contract next summer if they want to. Uh, they'll have to figure out uh, if he starts or if he comes off the bench, but um, I, I think he's he's probably a better player than Jordan Poole is at this point, and, and you know he'll help him defensively, and, and we'll see what the what the on court combination with Steph will be like. All right, well, Mike, really appreciate your time. I'll say it because you can't. I need the Boston Celtics to just play smarter because they hurt my head last year watching them, and I was like, there's no way you have this much talent and you're playing this dumb. So they have to play smarter next year, and if they do that, then I think they obviously have a chance to get back Then They probably have a better chance than the Warriors, but I also don't want to count on Steph Curry because, as I tell these guys all the time, they're never dead until I see Steph Curry's body on the ground after a series. Like That's how much I believe in that guy over there. But again, Mike, thanks for your time, man, and if you want to continue to get love in Indy, make sure you keep writing about the Pacers. <laughs> I'd love to, listen, I'd love to make it out to Indy next year and, and write about him again and, and catch a few games uh, in Indianapolis. It's a really nice arena, too. It's one of my favorites. All right. Let me know when you're around. But until then, take care. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Mike. Again, that's Mike Vorkanov covers the NBA for The Athletic. I thought what he said about, you know, the fit with Chris Paul out there with the Warriors is is true. I mean, he might be a better player right now than Jordan Poole, but 
it seems like a move that's going all in on trying to get better, unlike, obviously, the Pacers, who are slowly building this thing, but I believe are going all in on like a playoff, play-in berth. I think if they fall short of making some sort of postseason appearance next year, that's a letdown considering the Pacers this summer and their expectations coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, you've had the quiet year of, okay, it's going to be bad basketball at times, but we're trying to grow something special here. And now it's time to take that leap forward again. Our bar might be a little bit different than others. I'd like to see him in the play. <laughs> I'd like to see him in the playoffs, one through six seed versus the seven to ten of the play in. We're gonna get back to our NFL conversations when we return. Deshaun Reed covers the Las Vegas Raiders for the Athletic. Josh Jacobs is one of those running backs impacted by the lack of extension and it said force the franchise tag. Look at the Raiders' perspective on all that and how it impacts things here with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. We come back on the Fan Midday Show. Still here in the DriveHewler.com studio, I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. You're listening to 107.5 The Fan, The Midday Show. A lot of our conversation early on throughout today has been about Saquon Barkley, his contract negotiations, but there is another running back out there who is arguably the best in the game, Josh Jacobs out in Las Vegas, and who better to talk about him and the running back market than none other than the Athletics' Tashawn Reed, who covers the Raiders for, again, the Athletics. So, Tashawn, how you doing? Pretty good, man. Yourself? I'm doing good. I don't know if I'm doing uh, as good as, or maybe not as bad as, Josh Jacobs because he's upset with the contract situation so you've been on the ground you've been covering this since I believe he had that statement where he was like you know hero turned villain if I don't get a contract done so what has it been like to see him sort of turn into that villain given that in your recent piece that I which I read it was the right move for the Raiders to tag him yeah it just makes the most business sense particularly for where they are as a team. You know, I would say if the Raiders were, were a playoff team last year and, you know, they, they felt like, you know, with, with one or two moves this offseason, they could push it ahead and contend. Um, you know, they wanted to keep their, their star running back, as you said, arguably the best running back in the league, happy. You know, it, it would make sense to go ahead and put together an extension. But, you know, right now they're, they're in the midst of a rebuild. You know, they've been avoiding that word, but it is what it is. You know, they went 6-11 and last season. You know, they swapped out their quarterback, Derek Carr, for Jimmy Garoppolo. They didn't really do too much in free agency outside of that. Um, made some some pretty future-based moves in the draft. Um, and, and so it seems like they're, they're taking their time and, and building for the future more so than worrying about the present. And, you know, giving a, a running back a big money deal, like some would argue it doesn't ever make sense, but especially when, you know, like they're probably not going to be that good this year. It's just hard, kind of hard to justify making that move. But obviously Josh Jacobs is, is still a, an elite player at his position. He's somebody that you don't want to just let him walk for nothing, right? And so that's why you go ahead and franchise tag him. You know, $10 million isn't an insignificant number, um, but, you know, they deemed it worth it to, to keep him on the roster, you know, assuming that he eventually signs that tag and, and suits up for them this season. To Sean, James and I are of the mindset that we're not going to overpay for a running back if we were running an NFL franchise. And there's no clean way to say this other than to say I always expect the Raiders to make the wrong decision. Like that's just how I've grown up. Uh, cars on the table. I, I happen to root for the Chiefs, so that's a bitter rivalry to begin with. And it's funny to point at them and laugh every now and again. But to your point, I thought this was a smart business decision on their part to not 
give him a long-term, high-level like market reset contract and just play it out with the tag. I know you mentioned the rebuild, but how much of this is a new philosophy within the way the front office wants to attack things and how much of it is well with where their cap space is at other position players they're paying it really wouldn't have made any sense to break the bank for josh jacobs um their cap situation is fine they don't have much cap room right now but their their future books are pretty clean like as is i think they're projected to have around 44 million dollars in cap space next offseason and they could create a bunch more space by making some moves, uh, you know, because Chandler Jones doesn't bounce back this season, moving on from him. Hunter Renfro doesn't have any guaranteed money after this season. So it wasn't really about, you know, them being restricted in terms of future cap space. It's just they just don't don't believe in allocating but so much to their position, which makes sense. I mean, you know, both general manager Dave Ziegler and, and head coach Josh McDaniels came from the Patriots. And, you know, as we know, the Patriots are known for <laughs> – you know, running back by committee, never really paying anybody, let alone running back, right? So um, it, it lines up with, with how they came up, you know. And so it's really no surprise to see them go in this direction. Uh, you know, they did make an offer to, to Jacobs, but, you know, the there was a gap when it came to the guarantees, yeah. which, you know, like that's ultimately what matters. Like, I can't, you know, they could say they're going to pay him whatever salary, you know, into the next few years. But if only this year and a little bit of next year are guaranteed, then how much, security does that really provide for Josh Jacobs and you know like the, the kind of the the theoretical bar for running backs with these extensions is about 22 million dollars because that would be you know how much money they would get guaranteed if they were tagged two years in a row and then to my understanding the Raiders didn't meet that number and so for Jacobs you know it's like I mean why would I sign this like if, if I'm still you know he's confident that he's going to be the player he was last year this upcoming year then he's probably going to get tagged again next year and he's like I'm, I'm going to get that money anyway you know what I mean and so um, but from the team side, you know, that, that's just their philosophy. Um, it's what makes sense with what, where they stand. Again, like maybe they would bend a little bit um, if they were closer in terms of being able to compete. But, but where, where they are as a franchise, it just, it's hard to, to justify it, um, you know, even though Jacobs is a great player and a locker room leader and, and has given lots of franchise. So in the lead of your piece on The Athletic about Josh Jacobs, the most recent one, you were talking about how – you know, this is a guy who showed up to play a game shortly after his own son found his granddad, you know, Josh Jacobs, his father, in pain and you know had an open-heart surgery right before this game, who on the surface or to many people would have thought is, like, meaningless. Last game of the season and not going to the playoffs, be with your family. He showed up for that. So all of that to say, Sean, how do you think him possibly – not being around for training camp, I would assume, at the very least training camp preseason and potentially trying to hold out could affect just the team as far as their bond, their morale, and things like that because he is so respected in that locker room. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, especially the guys that have been his teammates for a few years, like Max Crosby, who, you know, reportedly he was sitting in the car with um, leading up to the deadline, you know, when he was, you know, potentially still going to get a deal done. Um, obviously, they've been not happy to see, you know, a guy that they care about and have given so much to the team not get rewarded. And, you know, Josh Jacobs, you know, he, he did deserve an extension. It's just it didn't make sense from a business standpoint. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he earned every penny that he was asking for. Um, and, and so I, I definitely think it's going to be something that upsets a few different guys. But, you know, I, I think we sometimes as media, we kind of 
you know, blow these things up a little bit more. You know, these guys aren't going to like not show up because oh, they're yeah. mad that Josh Jacobs. Right. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get my money like, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, even like Devontae Adams, like a big narrative this off season was, you know, with them losing or, or getting rid of Derek Carr and replacing him with a guy like Devontae came here to play with Derek Carr. It's like, Oh, is he going to ask out for a trade? Is he not going to show up? He's like, yeah, like I still got a job to do. You know what I mean? Even if he's not a hundred percent healthy. Now that is something that cumulatively, like, you know, last season they had a rough year. Um, you know, in this offseason, they had an NFLPA survey come out, you know, with players, you know, saying that the coaching staff was essentially pushing them too hard um, with their practice habits and things of that nature. And they were, they were too abrasive. Then you have things like this where, you know, Darren Waller gets traded this offseason, Derek Carr gets cut, Josh Jacobs doesn't get his extension, Hunter Renfro's up in the air. You know, you start, these things starting to stack up against each other. And, and if the wins don't start to come, you know, kind of to justify these decisions that are being made, then that's when you can start getting a situation where the roster is like, all right, like, what are we doing here? You know, but I don't, I don't think they're quite to that point yet. I mean, they're only one year in, um, you know, it's just pretty early in the tenure of both Ziggler and McDaniels. But, you know, these are the sort of things that will be remembered if things ultimately don't work out from a wins and losses standpoint, which as I said earlier, like I, I covered a team and I don't, I don't really expect them to be too good this season. I don't think many people do either. You know, if they have another rough season this year, you know, toward the end of the season, that, that's something that, like I said, this could contribute to, you know, the team kind of getting fed up a little bit. Deshaun Reed with us, covers the Las Vegas Raiders for The Athletic. From Josh Jacobs' standpoint and the running backs as a whole, Indianapolis is dealing with this, or at least is on the precipice of dealing with it with Jonathan Taylor, who is going to obviously have a contract year this year, and then depending on if they get an extension done sometime this year or if the tag game that we just saw Jacobs and Barkley try to fight and lose takes place the whole other story but for running backs is there is there any light is there any way to fight this or is it pretty much just well next time the cba comes up maybe trying to negotiate against tags even though i don't think owners are going to give that no up but way. i know they're not going to give it up but <laughs> but it, it, what is the pathway for running backs like jacobs because the only one we can think of and levion bell tried this and didn't work is jonathan taylor tries to be a foot soldier here fight this and inevitably he's going to be in the same boat Jacobs and Barkley are, which is, okay, if you don't show up, we're not paying you. Yeah, I mean, the only practical route is, you know, something happening in 2030 when the next CBA is up, when it comes to whether that's the franchise tag or or the way that, you know, rookie contracts are handled. Uh, you know, because I think this was less of an issue back in the day when, you know, basically you, you had to negotiate a contract with a rookie as if he was like, from your player at his position right away, yeah. you know, like the Sam Bradford era where you get $70 million. But now where it's all scaled and slotted, um, it, it, it makes like Josh Jacobs has only made about $12 million in his career so far. And he's a first round pick, you know? And so um, it, it really just puts these guys in a tough bind. Like, you know, the extreme example, like I, I guess they they would all have to like <laughs> have like a running back strike, I guess. Like <laughs> every 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 good running back in the league just collectively decides not to play at the same time. Like maybe at maybe then teams would care, but I don't know, man. Like it just doesn't seem like there's there's a path for this to get better for them before that next CBA is up. There's nothing realistic anyway. Like it, it pretty much it is. But you know, like Saquon Barkley tweeted out, you know, it is what it is. Brandon Bolden, it's your turn. Get out there. Josh Jacobs is striking. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to really look at a, a path that rewards them in the way they think they deserve to be rewarded. But I want to pivot away from running backs for a moment and focus on quarterbacks. Now, the Raiders had an opportunity in last draft to pursue a younger quarterback to trade up if they wanted to to get a guy 
They did not. They instead decided to sign Jimmy Garoppolo, who I don't think you or others knew at the time of his signing was not like fully cleared. and had the whole foot issue. So what have the conversations been like around him? And is he expected to be healthy at any point throughout training camp to be available for the team that invested in him and then had to kind of go back and put some contingencies in there just in case he isn't ready? Yeah, so the Raiders have been, you know, pretty adamant, um, you know, both publicly and, and, you know, kind of through other means that, you know, they're not worried about Garoppolo being ready for the start of the season, you know, that they, you know, I mean, obviously they reworked the deal. They were aware that he was going to need surgery um, when he signed in March. Um, and, and, you know, they, they felt like it was best if they took their time, you know, not having him practice during OTAs. Um, you know, whether he's going to be out there on the field for training camp on Tuesday, uh, next week or, or Wednesday, I should say. Like, you know, maybe we'll see, I guess. But, you know, ultimately they believe he'll be ready to go by the start of the season. Obviously, you know, with quarterbacks in particular, you know, in the first year with the team, like it's not ideal for him to miss practice time, you know, as he, you know, kind of acclimates himself, you know, with his new teammates, um, you know, and within the system. But, you know, given Garoppolo played in McDaniel's offense for a few years at the start of his career in New England, um, he has a greater familiarity than, you know, if he was a rookie, you know, at, you know, as you mentioned with the option that they had earlier. So um, they, they aren't too concerned about him being able to jump in and, you know, whether it's two weeks or three weeks or whatever before the season and then being ready to go. Um, you know, in, in terms of whether he can stay healthy, that's, that's really more so the question with me, with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Because this, you know, this surgery sounds like it was relatively minor. Like, obviously, the injury wasn't minor. It kept him out through the rest of the last season, but – uh, you know, the, the surgery wasn't any major reconstructive surgery or anything of that nature. Um, but, you know, he's just a guy that he, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy throughout his pretty much his entire career. You know, like, like this is just who he's been. I mean, I think he's had three seasons in the injuries. I think he's only played one full season since he became a, a full-time starter. You know, and, and the Raiders, you know, while their offensive line thrives and run blocking, like they, they really struggled to pass protect last season. And Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the most mobile quarterback in the world and he's injury prone behind the offensive line that isn't too good at protecting against pass you know pass protecting and so it, it sounds like a dangerous recipe when you just kind of lay it out you know like that and so it's something that you know Raiders fans you know they're going to be on pins and needles a little bit until he's cleared and ready to go but even after that you know there's going to be an air of concern about can this guy stay upright you know and it's hard to blame people for thinking that way yeah I mean it's so funny we talk about durability and running backs and what they deserve. And it's like, well, if you're a quarterback that's pretty good but always hurt, you can get more money than a running back. There's a halo back. over so your head, James. That's Come just on. That's yeah. what it is. So, yeah. Tashawn, I don't know if you know this, but my dad is a diehard Raiders fan. He's been that way his entire life. He's from Chicago, and I, it's a long story. But they were good when he was young. He stuck mm-hmm. with them. And God bless them because they've been, you know, very bad, at least when I've <laughs> been alive. So what defines a successful season in Las Vegas for this team? Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to like make any outside projections for them. I think what's successful for fans, honestly, and it sounds kind of rough to say, like, is if they're pretty bad because this upcoming quarterback class is, is thought to be pretty good. And the only way you're going to get one of those guys is if you stink, that's kind of how it works. (laughs) And so like, I I just don't envision this being a team that's going to like make it to the playoffs or compete if they somehow snuck into the playoffs. And so for me, like instead of just being six and eleven again and having you know the seventh or eighth overall pick, 
let the bottom fall out, man. Like, be bad, go get a quarterback, and, and, you know, then you can have some hope and something to look forward to in the future. Like, even if you aren't that good in 2024, like, you have this young, ascending, you know, in theory, quarterback with a lot of potential that you can, you know, groom, you know, with Devontae Adams and these other weapons on the team. But, you know, I, I think that's – it's not success isn't, isn't the word, I don't think, for a season like that. But it, it might end up being what would set the Raiders up the best, you know, moving forward as a franchise. Gotcha. Well, Tashawn, look, I really appreciate your time. I will see you week 17 here in Indianapolis. You know, make sure you bring your coat because it'll be cold, unlike Vegas, which I always love to go to. Now, if they want to make playoff games on the road against the Raiders, I'm all for that. But, you know, the way the league is set up, you kind of have to come here sometimes, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm from St. Louis, man. The cold ain't cold ain't that <laughs> All right, cool, man. For me, but I'll, I'll see you out there, bro. All right. You have a good one. All right, man. You too. Peace. All right, that was Tashawn Reed covers the Raiders for The Athletic. I thought that everything he said with Josh Jacobs was on point. You know, you feel for the guy. He is, by all means, a stand-up guy. I want to drive home that point. He showed up to play a game, a meaningless Week 18 game, like a couple of days after his father almost died and had to have open-heart surgery. And not saying it's the Raiders' fault that any of that happened, but – when you look at it through a purely business lens, the better option was not to get emotional and say, oh, he's a great guy, he showed up. It's what's best for this team. It's cutthroat. It's cold. It, it, but it is what it is. It's a it, business. Hey, shout out to Saquon. He tweeted that. Yep. It is what it is. And I don't think it's going to change into anything different. It is what it is, and it is what it will be. 2030. It's the next CBA. Ooh, That's Lord. seven years from now. John Taylor is going to be 31. I don't even know if I'm doing like seven days from now uh, besides I, being I at camp. That. I understand. But other than that, it's like seven years. That's a long time. And, and again, you can take that stand, but you're not going to feel any of the rewards, even if you do by some miracle sure. win that hypothetical fight. You're not going to reap the benefits of that. No. So w- what incentive do you really have? This is why and sometimes somebody's got to pave the road, right? I mean, yeah. that's. It, I don't think it's going to matter because like, the only way it gets fixed and let's take a break and, and, and expound on that. There's one way it gets fixed. We talked about it a couple days ago. There's one way, perhaps, for running backs that this whole situation could be prevented or at least allow them to make a little bit more money. We'll discuss that when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us as well here on the Fan Midday Show. We talked about last segment, the only real solution here for running backs for a way out of these problems of debates on franchise tags and of, switch positions. Are they getting market value? That's one path. That wasn't my answer, but yeah, that's that's one path. Just show up to camp and be like, hey guys, I'm a wide receiver. All right, Every so, single running back does not show up. That's what they need to do. So here's one, and I don't know how quickly you all can think of a guy, but which running back could spend an entire summer training to be a quarterback and who would be the best like of that running back group? Well, I guess the answer is Christian McCaffrey since he played it in high school at one point in time, and that was tried in an emergency-like setup that did not go well for the 49ers. So maybe maybe Christian McCaffrey gets back on that horse that he's ready. And that's what's so... Well, Derrick like, Henry's got touchdown passes on his resume. There you go. There this you is go. true. This is true. And kudos to them because they finally have actual touchdown catches on their roster because that Mike Vrabel stat is insane that he was until... You know, DeAndre Hopkins got signed there. He led his team or had the most touchdown receptions of anyone associated with the Titans. 
and he was a linebacker in the NFL, which is crazy. He caught 12 touchdown passes as a linebacker in the NFL, which is pretty insane. But getting back to the whole point of this, I mean, running backs, it's it's just you're so far into this now, it's not like you can go back and change your position. You can't really change how people perceive you, and you can't change how the contracts are set up. I mean, I even read this on Twitter, and I thought it was hilarious. It's like, well, just be bad in college and get drafted in, like, the fifth round instead of, like, the first round or second round. It's like, Only problem is once you're good, then you're going to be back in the same boat. If you were were a fifth-round draft selection, you turn into a top 10 running back in the National Football League. Tony Pollard. Getting tagged. Yeah. Case in point. And, I mean, to that point, Eddie, he's the only one who hasn't, like, held out. He actually signed the franchise tag, so he'll be there. I, well, I think he realized he had no leverage right. like in a contract negotiation. No, he didn't have like, any leverage. Like, I mean, nobody topped, has any leverage, but yes, he didn't have any. He's, no. He has right. yet to top 200 carries in yeah. a season, and like he didn't even well, have 100 carries in a season in college. Yeah, how about maybe the word isn't leverage, it's just resume. He just didn't have the resume sure. to even like... So I feel like if he was like, I'm going to hold out, the audacity would kind of be like, hey dude, like you yeah. you really haven't been like this bell cow, thousand yard NFL leading rusher. And isn't he coming off like a major injury or something like that? He got a... Uh, I think he broke his ankle on the hip drop tackle, remember? Yes, yes, I do remember that. So yeah, that's also a factor. Like you're, you're, They're giving you this franchise tag and you're coming off a major lower leg injury. Granted, he should be back to 100%, but still... Um, all that to say, man, injury, no injury, 200 carries, 500 carries, 10 yards, 1,000 yards. I mean, it doesn't matter. If they feel like they want to keep you around, they will through the franchise tag. And the moment that becomes too expensive and maybe the money doesn't line up with the production, as Matt Miller alluded to in his tweet, you just redo the cycle. Yep. Draft, run them into the ground. Oh, he wants money. No, we're not going to give it to you. Cut him, draft someone else, and continue the cycle. You just wonder if there could be a player transcendent enough to buck this trend. But even then, I think it would have to be a prolific rusher, a prolific pass catcher. And even then, it still may not be enough. I mean, Derrick Henry got paid like three or four years. Sorry, Derrick Henry got paid three or four years ago. And you haven't seen teams adjust and be like, that's a team that took care of the running back. We should do that too. Right. Like, if, if that was what played out, the Colts would be like, all right, yeah, let me retain Jonathan Taylor. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Market value. Yeah, with Derrick Henry, maybe the response or the lack of response to that is that because all those years he was carrying them, he's still carrying them, they were pretty good, but everyone knew they were never good enough yep. because their best player was a running back instead of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's the other area yeah. where you see these contracts happen is teams that do not have the quarterback figured out, but they know how talented the running back is, and they feel like okay, we need to retain you, and we need to pay you at a premium. The Colts are in a weird spot. Like if, if this was two years ago for John Taylor, and it was the quarterback carousel that's going on right now, obviously two years ago it's a different landscape in the NFL, and the outlook from a psychological standpoint and a front office planning standpoint is different two years ago than it was now. But maybe he gets that extension blindly. And now it's at a point where we have Anthony Richardson in the wings and we don't need the running back to be the face of the franchise. We want our quarterback to be that. There is, again, which we didn't get to in this segment, but we'll get to it when we return here on the Fan Midday Show. There is one thing that Tashawn Reed brought up, covers the Raiders for the Athletic. He was just with us a couple moments ago. He brought up one aspect that we discussed on Tuesday 
This is still years down the line, but maybe it's a pathway for running backs to get what they feel is their fair share a little bit quicker. We'll discuss that when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here with us as well. We might potentially in this 2 o'clock hour have David Kaplan on the show. Very busy out there in Chicago, so we might not be able to make that happen this particular instance of the show, but if not, we'll definitely have him on again soon for a number of different reasons, particularly with the Colts having those joint practices with the Bears and a lot of parallels being drawn in terms of the expectations on Justin Fields a couple years into his NFL career and a rookie in Anthony Richardson hoping to have similar strides, if not better strides, by the time he gets there. But resuming our conversation on running backs... And before I get into the way it is fixed, we were having a discussion before the break on running backs that could potentially <sighs> reset the market. You don't have to do this. No, don't you I'm, throw I'm a, him I'm any a, bones. I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a good man, and I like to I like to like to. Well, I'm not. I'm <laughs> man, he's a man of faith. <laughs> hey, careful now. Um, There's a deep drive to left by Castellanos. <laughs> there you go. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I'm going to regret it here in a second. I'm trying to uh, try to set you up for this. Uh, m- much like somebody that's uh, cutting people off, you know, swerving through lanes and traffic, uh, went across the Eddie a little bit there and then lost track where we were in the break. We were discussing running backs that maybe could win and solve this issue by resetting the market or being someone that challenges everything to a point that the running backs win long term. Eddie, you had a name that comes to mind. Yeah, he was just drafted in the first round in Atlanta, and I'm going with Bijan Robinson. I mean, the dude is, I think, going to be a, a one of those perennial running backs that you talk about once he retires is one of the best ever because the way he's just able to make guys miss in the open field and the impact he can have both in the run game and the passing game, like there's already belief that they could do 31 personnel, which is just wild with three backs and put him out in the slot. Like he's just one of those guys that's like a next Christian McCaffrey. Alvin Kamara type who can run with power he can run with speed he can make you miss he can just bully right over you like but the only problem is like James is what I was talking to you about this during the break is that it's first round pick and like he's already 23 so you're going to be looking at 28 by the time he's up for that contract extension and going that's into why that. he won't get the money but like, <laughs> but like he's the only case I can make is like yeah. if he can stay durable like in the impact he has in both the passing game and the running game like he's the one he guy I think who can buck the trend <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree with everything you said, and all of it makes sense, but it's just, to our point, the tag is always there. I feel like it's just like this shadow, this monster, you know, it's like, check your closet, check underneath your bed. It is always there in a running back room, literally, it is always there. So, um, I am actually excited to see him play, though, because as you said, he is special, and the conversation around him leading up to the draft, especially when we talked about big boards, was him being arguably the best player yep. available, but he was a running back. So, again, it was like, where did you draft him? And then, obviously, when it gets to that point in a few years from now, or not even a few, half decade from now, what does it mean as far as his value money-wise? And, honestly, it may take a guy who's taken in the second or the third round because they don't get that fifth-year option to really buck the trend. And they like – Jonathan Taylor had the best shot at that before last season. Yeah, he's actually in the best spot, I think, of all of these guys. Again, because they haven't paid a quarterback yet. Obviously, Atlanta hasn't paid one either. They're kind of going through some things, but they're different because Bijan isn't up for a contract. But JT, you haven't paid the quarterback. You don't have that extra year on your contract because you weren't a first-round pick like a Josh Jacobs, like a Saquon Barkley. And then... 
I think I'm going in there saying, how much do you think I can help the life of Anthony Richardson? And I would even tell AR, hey, man, put a good word in for me because I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, I'm trying to get paid too, you know? So I don't know. Other than that, there is no leverage. There is no point. We could talk about it until we're blue in the face, but that's the reality of the NFL. And I feel bad for it. And honestly, it's just something that I'm curious to see how outspoken the running backs are until they accept it. Because right now, it's, it's really a story because whenever these stars talk, you have to at least give them some attention and acknowledge that they're speaking and saying things. But at some point, that's going to become noise. And honestly, it could become noise as quickly as next week when training camp begins and all the quarterbacks get back out there. I mean, who's going to talk about, no disrespect to Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, it'll be a story, but the headlines will be, Aaron Rodgers with the Jets. It'll be all the rookie quarterbacks getting their first reps in in training camp. It'll be that sort of thing rather than a holdout. Barkley's in a big enough market where he'll still draw headlines because no disrespect, but yes, disrespect. Nobody cares about Daniel Jones at this point. Like genuinely, I don't care about Danny Dimes until I see him in a meaningful situation where I have the Giants at like plus three and a half on a Sunday night football game. Like I, I don't care. But... To your point about where the issue is of needing someone to help with the development of Anthony Richardson. This isn't a devil's advocate. This is legitimate just thought I had the other day. We talk about how important Jonathan Taylor is to the development of Richardson. I think he's huge. Where do you want Anthony Richardson to be in year three? What do you mean? Like from a development standpoint, year three of his NFL career, where would you feel confident that okay, this is a, there's no need to be hunting for quarterbacks anymore. This is a franchise guy we can build around. Second best guy in the division, obviously behind Trevor Lawrence. I think that's a, that, I think that's a, a realistic, don't let me finish. I think that's a regular, a realistic goal for him. And also by year three, I'm thinking, Hey, are you arguably a top 15 guy in the league? Are you someone who can get me to the playoffs? That's what I think. Would you want a third year quarterback to be heavily reliant at that point in time in his career on a running back to help him stabilize in this league? Probably not. And that's why I say I would do the three-year deal because after that third season, I want to be able to say we have a guy. And so that to me means that, you know, can he make that jump into like the top 10? That would be awesome. Sure. But I don't know if it will happen that soon. But again, at that point, I think you should be – I think – Better than the top 15, creeping up into that range, because at that point, that means you're better than the average quarterback in the NFL. And then, given whatever promise or um, progress you've shown, Mm -hmm. I would feel comfortable saying we can build around this guy. Maybe if we add some more pieces, then he could take that jump into being a guy who could really lead us to the promised land, like we've seen where... You know, Josh Allen's of the world, get the Stephon Diggs, yep. the Jalen Hurts, get the A.J. Browns. And so it's different with Cincinnati because they were terrible because of Joe Burrow injury. Then they ended up with Jamar Chase. But again, you want to feel like if we just add a few more things, we can really take off. And so he's got to show me something by that year for me to feel comfortable. I ask you that because I keep hearing they need to sign Jonathan Taylor to a long-term extension. and It's going to get done because he's going to help with the development of Anthony Richardson. Let's say long-term in Jonathan Taylor's mind is a four-year deal. I don't need you for four years to develop my quarterback. Here's how long I need you in theory. This season, this is, again, under the assumption that Anthony Richardson starts week one. I need you to this season, could use you year two, 
I tag you. That's two seasons of NFL play by my quarterback. I would like going into year three to think he's yeah. on his own now. Okay. He oh, doesn't I see need, what you're he doesn't need training wheels three. anymore. Yeah, okay. Which is why, again, I'm saying from a team perspective, I don't need to... like If that's the conversation, that's not JT's argument, but I've heard it a couple of times. If the argument is you need Jonathan Taylor to develop Anthony Richardson, you need him for three or four years to do that? Ideally, you would probably want when AR is lined up to get paid for JT's contract to be coming off the books. And then you can go back to the sure. negotiating table and say, hey, this is what we want to offer you because we're going to pay our guy now. But yeah, okay, if you're saying going into year three, yes, I agree that there has to be some conversations about why do we feel the need for him to be here with him if he's not able to click or grow significantly in those first two years. And again, when you draft a guy fourth overall, you give him time. Right. But – to be honest, in today's NFL, you're not going to be given a whole lot. You know, you're not going to be yeah. given three, four, or five years, if you're playing, that is, to come out there and like still be questioning if he's a yeah. guy. By going into year three, ideally, you'd probably want him to be somewhere in like that top. I said 15 initially. I would say 12 sure. would be probably like where I would want him to be. And this isn't a shot against Anthony Richardson. It's a shot against the conversation that you need to keep Jonathan Taylor locked up for four years because you need him for the development of Anthony Richardson. And I don't necessarily fully disagree with that, but if the price points don't add up, you can still have two years of JT at his rookie salary this year and then the franchise tag number next year, which would be about 11 and a half, let's just say. That's a guess. I don't know what that's going to be, but you see it incre- increase about 500000 to a million dollars-ish every year. And then by year three, if you still want to keep him, okay, then maybe you're having a contract negotiation versus a four-year deal if it's $13, 14 $15 million, if that's what Jonathan Taylor wants, because you're the team that holds all the cards, I don't I don't need you for a third year. I'll, by that point, either have a rookie running back or sign a veteran that will be just as useful for what I want Anthony Richardson to do. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, again... What would make this whole scenario much easier is if Richardson just clicks. But in an effort to temper expectations and realize just how big of a leap he has to take, it probably won't be that way. But ideally, in a perfect world, you'd want him to kind of get through those growing pains this season, hopefully peak by season's end, and then going to next year looking like the guy that you – I want to say bet your future on because there is an out. Like if he's just not good, you're not going to be good. You can obviously rehash the whole quarterback decision and, and kind of go from there. I mean, if we're being brutally honest, if the Colts come out and have a horrible season, as Tashaun alluded to with the Raiders, and they're in that top two range for quarterbacks, there will be a conversation as far as picks that is – do we hang on Anthony Richardson or do we look at Drake May and Caleb Williams? Now, I don't want to go that far. Who's that other name, though, out of Ohio State that might uh, I have throw no idea who you're that. talking about. I have no I think idea He's a pretty good is. pass catcher. I, um, I don't know. I've... I heard he's like average at best, but no. <laughs> Marvin Harrison Jr. would obviously be a great option for the Colts, but I think... You couldn't pay for better cinema, by the yeah. way. The turmoil of, we need a new quarterback, but but Jim Irsay the amount of fans b- before the draft <laughs> and before they even knew where they were picking the amount of fans toward the end of last season who kept spamming my mentions with Arch Manning and Marvin Harrison Jr. and I was just like you guys are too much but realistically Marvin Harrison Jr. will be joining the NFL next season he will make a very big impact right mm-hmm. away 
But all that to say, what makes life easier and why it's so important for this season for you to see something for Anthony Richardson is because of all the questions that yeah. are being asked around him and that can't be answered or decided upon until you see what you have in him. So that's why I can't wait until we get to training camp, preseason, and all the games, obviously, to see those flashes we saw in college. Can they be pulled out at least a little bit more to be some sort of like sustained production or play that gives you some hope for the future and just entices you to invest in this kid because you feel like, okay, all that potential, all the hype is one thing, but he's showing us that he can really do this. Our neighbors to the north in Chicago. This is year three of Justin Fields. He didn't start the entirety of his rookie season. He played in 12 games, started in 10 of them. Two and eight. Again, wins aren't a quarterback stat in my mind, so I'll throw that off to the side a little bit. Uh, passed for under 2,000 yards, but again, just a 10-game sample size with that. Ran for about 420 as a rookie. Seven touchdowns, 10 picks. Last year, again, three and 12. Bears are a massive organization that's not solely on the quarterback, but increased in almost every area and started and played in all the games that he did play in, which was 15 last year, just under or just over 2,100 yards passing, 17 touchdowns, 11 picks, 60.4% completion percentage, and he also ran for 1,143 yards, led the league in yards per attempt at 7.1, and scored eight touchdowns as well with his legs. And right now in Chicago, for year three, with those numbers, and now finally having a weapon, they think, in DJ Moore, there's an expectation in year three that Justin Fields is going to take off. And he's going to be in that range you suggested for Anthony Richardson of a top 10, top 12 quarterback in this league. And one of the reasons, and again, we'll have that conversation. If not now, then we'll get it at some point this offseason or the rather lead into training camp with David Kaplan, which is if the pulse in Chicago is, is the pulse in Chicago a make or break year for Justin Fields? Or is it, this is just year three of a a four-year playing with him? And if it is the former, and it's a make-or-break year in Chicago, which is a major market who has crazy, insane fan bases just like New York, just like L.A., if that's the pulse in Chicago, what is that going to be like in year three of a development plan for Anthony Richardson in terms of where expectations are at? Because for Fields, I'm still a... Like, I think he's fun to watch and some of those highlights and what he's able to do just blow my mind. But there's other times where it's like, this guy's a franchise quarterback? Like, this this is what is going to be at the top of the league this year? And it just, there's so many parallels there for what is looking into the future three years down the line of what Anthony Richardson could be. Or better than that, you would hope. You hope he's better. Yeah, obviously you would love for him to be better because if he's better, and his better, his ceiling, that's what we always talked about, his better, his best is better than anybody else offers, at least in this class, because of the physical gifts that he has and stuff that you can't teach. And you just wonder if the stuff that you do think you can teach, he latches onto and it really all kind of comes together because it still is a long shot. I mean, I get it. The comparisons to Josh Allen, the comparisons to Jalen Hurts, the comparisons to really dynamic players, even Justin Fields to an extent. There's you still have to see it to believe it and to sort of feel good about that decision in the long term. You feel good about it now because it's all promising. Everything is roses and rainbows, but that's why I can't wait for training camp. There's going to be some up and down days. I'll venture as far as to say there's going to be some bad days as far as his performance. And so 
can all of that be sort of a stepping stone or a building block to help him and this team firmly enter a new era where they can finally put the quarterback questions to bed that they've had since Andrew Luck retired. I feel like it's been just this ongoing nightmare of like, who's our quarterback every year? And when you think about it, it is mind-blowing to know they haven't had like the same week one starter, you know, five, six, seven years, something like that, which is kind of crazy. So it is very hard to have any level of success in any sport, any league, when your best player, your most important player just isn't there year in and year out. So you hope that that's the case with Anthony Richardson, and I believe it could be the case. But again, you just don't know until you know, and we won't know until he starts throwing in Westfield and throwing in real games, and at some point we're going to be able to distinguish, is he swimming? Yeah. Is he sinking? Is he you know, becoming an Olympic athlete out there in the pool, you know, the hypothetical pool? I know I say that because Jim Arce was like, we're not drafting Olympic athletes at all. I think that Anthony Richardson could be pretty good in 2024 if he would like get some time off but again football wise you're just hoping that you see some steps towards success and success in my mind is he's proven by this the end of this year okay he's your starter and then by the end of next year he's your guy tomorrow we're going to go in depth with James because the last time that we're going to have him in the I know co-host role for well, probably it's going to be a good minute because the NFL is going to be in full swing. And, of course, James does a great job. You can find his work and subscribe at The Athletic as the Colts beat writer. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter as well at Romeoville Kid. But tomorrow we're going to go into our real outlook for training camp position groups that are really standing out in terms of where we want to see either growth or massive strides compared to where things were in the offseason, the rookie class itself. And there'll probably be some more discussion on the John and Taylor front as well because – I mean, I, I agree it's not going to concern me too much if I'm a Colts fan if he's not a camp or if whatever he decided not to report. As long as you're out there week one, which is what most players, particularly the running back spot, are forced to do, then, okay, you made your point, but yeah. move on. But what I want to bring up with you in regards to something Eddie brought up earlier, you mentioned that B. John Robinson maybe could have been or could be that guy that resets the market to some extent or changes how running backs are valued. But then he also mentioned at the end that he's going to be underneath team control for those five years or five years, right? Five years on that, that maybe it won't be something he's able to change. It's going to be 26 or 27 in the same boat as Dalvin Cook whenever that point arrives. The only real solution I could maybe think of, and I'm not in the cap – I don't have a degree in capology or how this stuff operates, so maybe what I'm suggesting isn't possible – but either way, it's seven years down the line. We talked about earlier this week on the rookie wage scales that are in place in the National Football League, or as I like to refer to them, I don't think the league does this, but I do it because it's the most notable or infamous player from it as to why this happened, is the Sam Bradford effect, which is players <laughs> and agents negotiating contracts before they even play down, and the money that was taking place around that time was out-of-this-world stupid money for players that, if they're hurt or if they don't pan out, you're setting your franchise back about a decade or so. You, you saw it happen. Uh, Jamarcus Russell's another name that comes to mind. And Yeah, I want stupid money too, though. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I, who, who says no to stupid money? Uh, <laughs> owners that look stupid for paying said, yeah. wait, Sam Bradford, six years, $78 million before he pointed down. Matthew Stafford, six years, $72 million before he pointed down. Jake Long, five years, $57 million before Those he pointed down. Those numbers sound so crazy. Jamarcus like, Russell, six years, $61 million before he played it down. The NFL quickly adjusted <laughs> yes. and in 2011 introduced the rookie wage scale, which 
if, if you're not familiar with it, just to not get too much in the weeds, it impacts based on where you're drafted the amount of money that you can actually make. And this was talked about in the 2023 rookie wage scale. Pick 11 gets half the money that pick one does, for example. Pick 33 gets half of the money that pick 11 does. Uh, at Ben B. Baldwin had, had a tweet that went into this regarding the rookie wage going where it's at. Here's my point. I don't know if this is fixable or not, and it's seven years from happening because it's a CBA issue. A guy like Bijan Robinson, if his either rookie wage skill was modified because of the position that he played, or there was a way to do it where it's a happy medium between the crazy amounts of money that players were getting before the rookie wage scale and the criminal Josh Jacobs only made $12 million at this point in his career despite being a top-tier running back, and now he's just going to get tagged. Is there a happy medium there? It starts for me with the rookie wage scale because the tag is not going away. There's no there's no world in any CBA negotiation, even simulating seven years from now, the owners are like, yeah, we're going to get rid of this useful tool that allows us to maintain players that we're not really ready to pay yet. Yeah, and just the fact that we don't have to pay you a lot of money. Right. Because um, no. it's not just a running back thing. Like, no. like Chris Jones at Kansas City is having frustration with this right now, too, because he wants to get paid big time. But they have money allocated elsewhere, so the best avenue is to tag him. You've seen defensive players have that, too. It's not just a running back issue. The issue for the running backs, though, is the money on the tag is Isn't so right. poor. Yeah, it's just not good compared to what you would get if you're a high-level defensive lineman, a high-level left tackle and obviously a high-level wide receiver or quarterback, and you don't even see quarterbacks get tagged because if you're good enough to get the tag, you'll get enough to get a contract. $18 million for a defensive tackle, just a tick under $19 million, $19 million for a defensive end, $10 million for a running back. Yeah, I mean... It's a different conversation. It's a different I just, animal. I don't, I don't see it really changing at all. And we actually got a comment here from David Carell on Twitter. He's like, hey, AR's progression is not uh, the biggest... Part of that is not JT, it's the O-line. And to his point, we haven't even harped on that a lot today. I totally agree with that, which again but, is another point. Why would you, yeah, why would you pay Jonathan that's, Taylor yeah, big money? Like, that's when, like a peripheral reason as to why you would, in theory, try to invest in that more than you would invest yeah. in running back. Because, again... And they tried that. And if that line fails again this year, then you're having a huge headache of what you're going to do from a team-building standpoint and the money you're pouring into it. Don't even get me started. I would just say I'm working on some stuff for the athletics. I'm trying to Stay talk tuned. about what keeps you up at night is what I'm trying to do. A lot do of things here. keep me up at night when it comes to the Colts because it's like, man, I'm excited for the season because I think that's part of it. It's like, you yeah. know, why sleep when you're only a few days away from uh, the show, so to speak. But I do think that there are some glaring issues that may have not been addressed this offseason. And again, I'm very high on the draft hall, but one of the knocks I have is that they didn't address the offensive line. And so all this JT talk, Michael Pittman Jr. talk, you got to keep the guy upright. And so Tony Sperano Jr. must be a magician or something because they really did not do anything to the offensive line except hire him and bring in Blake Freeland, who's going to be a backup swing tackle, uh, at least projected to be that as a rookie. So... We'll see, but um, yeah, David makes a good point on Twitter. They really, really need to make sure that he stays upright and he's not running for his life because even though he is more mobile than Matt Ryan and he can throw the ball downfield better than Matt Ryan, all those things, it's really hard to develop if there's just chaos around you. And I think I talked to Eddie about this a few weeks ago. You build bad habits that way too. Yeah. When you don't, you know, trust your offensive line or trust that you're going to have the chance. Easiest to way to break a rookie anything. quarterback. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
literally and like mentally. So um, we'll see how that plays out for sure because that's one of those things where I'm not sure if we can assess how good or bad the offensive line is until they get to preseason games and then obviously the real games. Before we throw to break, I want to acknowledge another a reply to that uh tweet by David Carroll. Uh, Eddie writes in as well and finding a wide receiver to go with Pittman, parentheses, if they re-sign him. Well, well fear not, Eddie, because uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is waiting in the wing, so you're fine. Oh, you, don't have to, you, don't, you don't have to worry about that whatsoever. They'll get their wide receiver <laughs> figured out no problem in next year's draft. That means draft. literally next season would have to be <laughs> three wins at like the most, I think. Three or four. Four is pushing it. Five wins and some crazy Jim Mercy negotiations. <laughs> Everybody wins. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, James might have his bucket hat for training camp all lined up, but he wasn't the only one that had a style change in mind for the 2023 campaign. We'll discuss that when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. When we talk about opportunities you have as players, don't speed, kids. Don't do it. Jordan Addison, rookie wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. It's just a citation for speeding and reckless driving by the Minnesota State Patrol after he was pulled over for driving at 3 a.m. Thursday. Not that he was driving at 3 a.m. He was going 140 miles per hour. In a uh, 55. Not that 140 would be allowed anywhere <laughs> outside of a track. But in all seriousness... Vikings are aware of it, by the way. Traffic at night. Yeah, seriously. But in all... That's just a really horrible decision. I'm curious to see whatever punishment comes of this. But I don't see how you look at what happened... Even in this draft class with Jalen Carter and that whole situation, you know, having two people die because of alleged street racing and things like that, and then you come right back and you look at what happened with Henry Ruggs, where he was, I believe, a first-round pick, and he's in prison, or going to prison, for driving, I believe, that fast, hitting someone and killing them and their dog. So. Not DUI gotta, there too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, as well exactly that too. I mean, yeah, again, I'm not but, saying that any of going no. that fast is okay, but like, no. At but, least with Addison's case, initial reports is not that. But, yeah, it's just that's a really horrible decision. Be smarter. And yeah, got to be smarter than that. And and obviously, when you're getting ready for camp and all that, you don't want that to be nope. the first thing we ask you about, as opposed to how you would fit in that offense alongside. You know, Kirk Cousins and Jettas, who was a 99 in Madden because he yep. deserves it. Join, join that 99 club, Phil. Really good at football. As we look more local, we teased it last segment and we'll pay it off now. You've seen the news, no doubt, that, which is weird. We had this conversation yesterday. Greg Rickshaw was in there about alternate uniforms and the Buccaneers bringing back the creamsicles and, and Seattle bringing back an alternate uniform as well with the rule changes by the NFL. The Colts now doing that as well. Indiana Knights, their alternate uniform. Woo-hoo. Little blue unis with white numerals, black trim. Black lids. All black helmet with blue accents and the blue Colts horseshoe logo, white trim there as well. Not fully all black, but by comparison, first all black helmet with the blue and white tones in franchise history as they put in their PR video. James, a lot of fans get upset about a lot of things. And what was probably envisioned by many PR departments around the league is, oh, a fun new thing for our teams and our fan base, and they'll go out and buy these jerseys. And maybe they still will. A lot of frustration, as you would expect, with the choice, because nothing can be, wow, I love that, 100% A-plus in today's world. It's not possible. I mean, when I was covering high school sports, it was always about the visual 
of the numbers and how easily I could see them from oh, the press yes. box. Yep. And so I would yep. gripe and be the old man that yelled at a cloud when there was like black jerseys and teams and they would have like the yellow highlighter numbers on black jerseys. There's teams, you know who you are. Some in this state, I've dealt with the same. It is tough. Any bright neon highlighter numbers with a black uniform is unbearable. I'm like, is that a three or an eight? Like, yeah. what is this? Yep. But in this case with the Colts, I think it's a good look. I wanted to just see like an all blacked out thing. I just think all black sure. is always really cool. I get why they probably didn't go that far because they are one of the most traditional teams in the NFL and they usually don't do this anyway. But I liked it. And, and I guess – to pivot away from the uniforms themselves, I threw it out there on Twitter. I was like, hey, who modeled it better? Rodney <laughs> Thomas II or Alec Pearson? It seems like Alec Pearson has a lot of supporters out there, but I got you, Rodney. I think you're a very <laughs> handsome man, and you looked very good in that uniform, you know, getting ready to play. But the funny thing about the whole, like, nickname of it is that they're playing at, like, 1 p.m., so it won't even give, like, the whole <laughs> night effect. Yeah, the, the press release is <laughs> blue oh, and black of joke. the Indiana Gosh, Knights, guys. <laughs> you stole Eddie's material. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Eddie. But I, I do think that they are sick. And I think that they will look cooler in person. I'm always like, I'll reserve my judgments. So I'll see it in person. And with anything that is new, as we talked about, once they play in them, and if they win in them, yep. then it's like, oh, they're the greatest uniforms ever. My mind is boggled right now. Joey Votto is on Sports Center and playing a game. How is he doing that? But in reality, focus, in Eddie, reality focus. but in reality here, I'm indifferent on the uniforms as a whole. Like, if you're going to do a black helmet, you got to do all black uniform. Like, That's you can't you can't mix it. Like, and I understand like black isn't in their uniform colors. It's it's whatever the blue is, white and gray. Like, and if so, if you're going to do the alternative yeah. or alternate jersey and you're going to make it indiana knights then why is it not all black yeah all black with the blue accents kind of like that helmet is versus the black yeah. and the blue base i will say i like um you know whenever kansas city has their all reds i always love that so i love primary color all color yeah. like the color rush setup so i do like that but these uniforms have been ruined for me a friend of mine texts me this They've been ruined, and I'm going to ruin them for everybody else now because oh that's just goodness. the type of person I am. Talk about right. the Duke Blue Devils? It's Duke. It's Duke. It is Duke. Go look up right. Duke's uniform right, scheme. <laughs> it's Duke. The helmet, the jersey, the trim on the numbers, it's Duke. It is Duke in Indianapolis. And I get it. I feel very bad for all PR people because you worked really hard, and it's like, it's blue and black for the blue and black of the Indiana night skies and Indiana boys on the Indiana nights, all that, like... This is what we've done, and we're very proud of it. And it and it is. It's great. It looks nice. It's Duke. Yeah, but you know what? I actually like the Duke that I'm looking at. It's a little bit better in my eyes because it just the uniforms is like kind of dark to me. There's yeah. not really much white on it, yeah. like for the numbers and stuff. The uh, the Texans are actually I hear rumblings. They're breaking out some powder blues um, this year too. We're gonna have a little uh, little uh, showdown in Chapel Hill. Okay, so go there. You know those white uniforms that the 49ers have that are like the block numbers and the block letters? Yeah. I wish they would have done that. Like, yep. I think that's a really cr crisp and clean look. Yeah, I agree. But then I'm also like, I don't know how to design a jersey. Like, I just know how to give you my opinion. Someone said it looked like the Madden starter kit. There's some gross <laughs> creative teams from my childhood of, of NFL teams when you could design your whole team in Madden. So uh, who am I to say that? Right. Like, again, it's... It, it looks nice. It's fine. It's a uniform. Is it worth losing your minds about? 
no. Um, I agree. Like, yeah, the, the all black with blue accents would have been really cool. Like, I would have liked to have seen that. The same kind of scheme they did the helmet for, for the jersey itself. But again, it's. But, but thoughts on the helmet itself? I thought the helmet really was actually the helmet. pretty fire. I think the helmet looks good. And if they would have put like a blue face mask instead, I think it would have looked better. Okay. Make it pop a little bit. Like I don't know. It. I'm all about the different color face masks. See, sure. this is uh, Eddie's like an interior designer when it comes to these things. Are you ready for something that's going to upset you? I can't remember who it was, but I talked to somebody the other day about the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. They don't like the city unis. Really? I love the city uniforms of Cincinnati Reds. Like, I think they're okay. I, I don't own I don't a ton of baseball I jerseys, great. but I, w- I would buy one of those if I... I think they're... I think they look good for like a fan perspective, but as a... I think as a fa- as a player, like when they play, I think... I don't know. Because... I, don't, I just don't know. So I just looked <laughs> these up. I think they're okay. They're yeah, not like great. They're not awful. You don't like the... I mean, I... Because it's me, different. It's, me, it's, it's different the from their... They the look font. like the Trailblazers. To me, it's the font. <laughs> but to your point, that is in theory what I'm envisioning, and maybe you can back me up on this or, or push against this. When you say go all black uniforms yeah. with blue accents, I'm thinking something like that with maybe a little bit more blue than what's red on the Cincinnati Reds. Because there's yeah. not enough red in the Cincinnati Reds yeah. setup for that to work. But for the Colts, that's the type of design I was thinking the of. The Reds need to implore some like gray into that instead of okay. red. I think the gray on the black, if you're going to do like if you do red lettering and you put gray around it, I think if you embroider it that way, I think it looks I, I think it look better. Would you buy it if you were a Colts fan and money wasn't an object? Because you know it's going to be like 130 or whatever, 150. Probably not, to be honest. Okay. I, I, when I buy jerseys, I'm usually like, hey, I'll get the traditional type of. Sure jersey wait when you buy jerseys do you buy for the player obviously like is it a guy that you like or is it a guy that's on your team like growing up oh for me it's it's someone usually that i like like if you're a bears fan and you like justin jefferson for example would you go and buy a jersey because it's justin jefferson or would you try Fields, but we knew what he meant yeah oh i was about to say like no 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 no, he get over there no like what i'm saying is is like oh if you were a bears fan but you were buying a player oh no when i was growing up it was like you just get the star players and you know the coolest guy in school if you had on i mean to this day i probably have a chris paul new orleans jersey in my closet back home in Romeoville yeah. and, you know, Allen Iverson jersey somewhere or Carmelo Anthony jersey for Denver. So, yeah, I was that kid who liked having the different jerseys, not necessarily just for my team. And it was always to me. I had Michael Vick. I had Vinci. I mean, yeah, I, 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 and, I, and I wanted a great player. Like, I'm sorry. I will never, ever be even when I, you know, can be a fan of the, the leagues I don't cover. Sure. I don't, um you know, buy jerseys as soon as they draft somebody. Unless you're like the number one pick or something, but like, you know, I like my family grew up as Bears fans. I probably wouldn't have a Justin Fields jersey just yet. You would have to show me. I used to, something. So here, 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 me out on this, and this is even as far back as five years ago. Because my team was so bad, because the Chiefs were usually so bad, and I wanted to have a jersey that was going to last a long time because they're so expensive. I don't want to buy a jersey and right. it be two years and it's done. I would buy rookie players. With the upside play of okay, they're going to be around four or five years. Like for instance, <laughs> the second like the second that they got Mahomes, I went and got a Mahomes jersey. Uh, and then this past year, two years ago, yeah, two years ago uh, or last season rather, there was one of those BetMGM promos or Caesars promos where you got a free jersey if you bet whatever hundred bucks something like that. And so I got a George Karloftis jersey because it's a rookie player. Maybe he'll last a couple years. Now as an adult though, it's like well, 
yeah, I mean, I and this is a whole other. I'm not trying to get into the debate of oh, how you should only be this age to be able to wear a jersey with another nah, man's name you on your back. Like, yeah, like I'm not. That's not. It's not for me. That's not my lane. But yeah, I mean, at this point, it's I want to find a player that is going to get some return on my investment of going to be there a couple years. Which is why, for instance, I bought uh, bought one of my nephews a Tyrese Halliburton jersey. And that investment paid off because he's here for five or six more years. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't I have mean, to worry about it. Like, exactly. and that, that was one of those risky, which pace your player do you buy for the Colts? It's probably Anthony Richardson. It's not Jonathan Taylor anymore. I'm not spending $130 on a running back that okay. I don't know how much. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I'm not buying a Jonathan Taylor jersey if I had a young child or for my nephew because I don't know how long he's going to be around. You hear this, Eddie? He's basically saying, like, oh, if someone I know says, hey, I love buy Anthony JT, Richardson. they're like, no, nope. no, you don't. Nope. You love Anthony Richardson. Nope, nope. sorry. <laughs> so sorry. I'm curious to see, jokes aside, just how much. That's fiscally responsible, okay? That's what that is. <laughs> I'm curious to see how much love Anthony Richardson gets in that regard as far as the jerseys when we go out there to camp because we know, at least it feels like, to the fans who are engaged with the team, not the casual fans, but the ones who know a little bit more, He's got to be the most popular guy, so I would imagine that we see some of his jerseys. And I just haven't seen that just yet as far as the outpour of support and what sure. it looks like. And again, you'll see the typical jerseys at every camp. I mean, Peyton Manning, we'll still see Andrew Luck jerseys and things like that. But how many Richardson jerseys will kind of at least give you a little, um, I guess, insight as to what he means just early on to the city. And I'm also curious to see how often he signs autographs because last year I think JT might have did it a couple of times. And each time it was like the biggest crowd ever. And I can just imagine that it's probably bigger for the young quarterback. Because even when we went to go play basketball at the YMCA, which again was a coincidence, I would say after a while there was at least a decent amount of people that kind of gathered to see him play because it's him. And so as I've talked about for weeks now, beyond just jerseys and all that, how do you deal with the spotlight that comes with being the face of a franchise, especially when things will not go well all the time? That's just the reality of the business. And, I mean, we're seeing it with Aaliyah Boston and Indiana, Indiana Fever where she's going through her ups and downs as a team, but she's playing great. You know, a little bit different with Tyrese because he kind of came here and changed the whole thing around. But, again, there are some growing pains that are going to happen. So how do you deal with the weight of that yeah. and the scrutiny of that because from now until whenever he takes his last snap for the Colts, hopefully for their sake, it's a very long time from now, it's going to get scrutinized. You're going to com- get compared to not only the guys in your class, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, others, but also the people who came before you. And this has been a quarterback defined franchise. So, I mean, it, it'd be different if you're going to some team that never had a great quarterback. You're going to the Jaguars, something like that, but you're here in Indianapolis, and here the names are Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, you know Johnny Unitas before they moved here, things yeah. like that. So, yeah, we'll see. Could have bought a Buddy Heald jersey. Could have bought a Miles Turner jersey. Didn't do it because I didn't trust how long they'd be here. Bought Tyrese Halliburton because to face the franchise, and, and that's the way to go. That's Fair what, enough. Set the nephew up for long-term success, and then the rookie extension is signed a little bit later there. It was a financial decision. And our guest, uh, Mike Vorkanov, was already trying to ship him off again <laughs> before the end of our segment. So, Miles Turner never escaping the no. trade rumors. So, therefore, you should never buy his jersey if you're the type like Jimmy who you know can't get too attached. Hey, hey it's not even an attachment thing. Jerseys are expensive man that's true they are that's they true. are stupid expensive that's true 
Hopefully, <laughs> in terms of a way to afford those jerseys, if you're interested in the side hustle game, we can make you a little jersey money when we come back. It's time for some bets on a short stint in terms of baseball. A lot of afternoon baseball taking place right now. Eddie's happy about one of those scores. We'll discuss when we come back. Final time on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd from the DriveHeeper.com studios. Eddie Garrison with us as well. Eddie's been hard at work today, so it sounds like it's a solo journey on my end with some bets here on a Thursday. Let's try to see if we can make a little bit of cash, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. Give me the Baltimore Orioles to win the money line against the Tampa Bay Rays. That at plus 160. Also going to take the Houston Astros. Lay one and a half on the run line as they... Eddie, you want to guess who they're playing? I'm going to guess the Oakland Athletics. They are indeed playing the Oakland Athletics. you know, you've... Got burnt three times this week. Hey, hey, no, no, it worked once. Other two, it did not, though. And then we're also going to take, I would like to take the Cubs, but I don't trust either the Cubs or the Cardinals. But I do trust Marcus Stroman, so I'm going to lay a little bit of juice here. Minus 150 is what we're paying. Are you doing first five? I'm not. Oh, my. I did first five the other day, and it didn't work. It was a push. Um, well, doesn't mean I'm see, done with it. Exactly. Doesn't mean I'm done with it. Doesn't mean I'm done with it. Just, just it was a push. Over four and a half strikeouts today for Marcus Stroman. Your thoughts? You gave me you gave me a grimace. Why a grimace? Uh, I don't know. He's been roughed up lately. He hasn't been great. He's been walking a ton of guys. Command's been off. I don't know. Those are your plays. Uh, one and two yesterday. Five, um, five and one on the week. I've got one, by the way. Yes. I got Rays minus one and a half. Tyler Glasnow on the mound. Kyle Gibson on the mound. Uh, it is like batting practice right now with Kyle Gibson. He hasn't had two consecutive good starts. Uh, since the beginning of the year. He's coming off a good outing. Um, Tampa Bay is going to rough him up. Minus one and a half, plus one ten. Give it. Uh, Oppenheimer comes out a little bit later this week. And the reason I reference that film, which goes into the development of the atomic bomb, is DraftKings right now. Maybe the pun of all puns. To Eddie's point about Tyler Glass now. James, look at James on the camera for his reaction here. Up and Tyler is the promo for Tyler Glass now over nine strikeouts. Oh, tomato, 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 <laughs> tomato. That was not good. I didn't write it. DraftKings wrote it. Okay, don't get mad at me. Goodness I, I didn't do it. I just I, I saw that and I needed to bring it into other people's lives. I couldn't just up and Tyler. There you go. Yeah, that's just bad. <laughs> I mean, they tried. So maybe they just knew it would be cringe. And it's like that thing where it's like bad publicity any publicity is good publicity that type of thing because that is bad that was horrible but i mean it is what it is <laughs> yeah there's nothing else really um no other good puns in the DraftKings available uh <laughs> bets yeah there's there's, there's the some cliches who wants it more ace of k's because you got pitchers that throw strikes dude so. i could write a book on the <laughs> amount of cliches you hear in sports interviews who wants it more is definitely one of them 110% is another one because yep. you can't go over 100%. Yep. So I'll just like, what is the extra 10%? So you're saying JT doesn't have to want it more to get a long-term extension done? That's oh, not, no, that's, Okay, no, all right, let's the, make sure. You know, who wants it more? We played, I don't know if Eddie has it anymore. Both so. sides of the ball. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. There's so many. You could write a book. You write multi-volume set, by the way. <laughs> we talked about it to start the show, and I don't know if Eddie still has the audio, so it's not a big deal if he doesn't. But we played Saquon Barkley's clip from The Money Matters 
podcast and gave a little context there for his feelings of leverage he could use, which is basically to say bleep you to both the Giants and to his teammates. That's something he could do. He's not saying he was going to, but something he could do. It's a card that he has to sit down and evaluate. But we talked about it, though. That's that's great. You can try to do that. That's not the way this gets fixed for running backs. The only real ways are next time CBA negotiations occur, which is seven years from now. And by that point, James is, is waxing poetic even further than he already is uh, covering the NFL. Or it, you try to strike within the NFL PA, just the running back spot, <laughs> at which point Amir Abdullah is going to take Josh Jacobs place and, and that'll go haywire. There's no there's no way out. Not that I see. Not yet, anyway. I just don't see how it's going to flip back. I know we talked about that off air, like, oh, there's a possibility maybe that it could – no. If Jonathan Taylor gets three years, $13 million, that's is that a win for running backs? Yes. Yes. Like, But but it, for me, I want more than $13 million if I'm Jonathan Taylor. To me, that'd be settling. That's just like a million dollars over – it's not even a million dollars what Derrick Henry's making. Look, you can settle for this $13 million, <laughs> or you could settle for being literally Dalvin Cook, who's sure. been a, one of the top running backs in the league over an extended period of time and is now unemployed. So we'll see how you know plays out. We'll have more to discuss tomorrow when we have a Giants guy on to talk about Saquon. Yeah, we'll get the, the Saquon realm of things. And again, it's important with context with those comments because – he was thrown in a hypothetical there. He wasn't just saying, I'm going to say right, middle finger to everybody, everybody like, no. and <laughs> just do my own thing. But it's something that's very easy to cut up and be used against you. And it's not a great look when this is where running backs are. And for Jonathan Taylor, again, he has one more year left to really think about this. But maybe it starts... Maybe it starts this year. Who knows? James, great having you in here. I know we're going to have you back in here tomorrow. Give us our in-depth look at training camp and cover all those bases. Yep. Pleasure as always. Yeah, I appreciate it. Special thank you to Mike Vorkanoff, to Sean Reed. Again, we didn't get to David Kaplan today, but hopefully we'll have him on at some point here. Definitely will with Colts and Bears having those joint practices upcoming. Podcast will be up. Just search Fan Midday Show wherever you get them. Don't go anywhere. The Ride with JMV is next. Keep it right here.